This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back to throw is Darnold. Looks left. Fires one down the left sideline. Towards the end zone. Robbie Anderson. He's got it. That's a jet touchdown. Dumps it to Bell. And Le'Veon Bell takes it. It's for the touchdown. Crowder across the 30. 35-40. Crowder comes on the Jets. He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. Welcome back to the Cool Your Jets podcast. Big news for the New York Jets. Disappointing news at that as Avery Williamson has been announced to have a torn ACL. Uh, Many Jets fans are wondering why the hell was Avery Williamson playing late in the second quarter of a preseason game, uh, considering how big of a role he has in this Greg Williams defense. Uh, We'll talk about that as well as the Jets preseason game as a whole against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Plenty of good stuff to talk about. Some stuff that the Jets uh, ought to be concerned about uh, heading into week three. Uh, and obviously, we have another mailbag this week as we took your questions on Twitter using the hashtag AskCYJ. So we'll answer those as well as a few other topics sprinkled in. I'm your host, Ben Blessington, and joining me is Michael Nania. Michael, how are you feeling about this Avery Williamson news? I mean, obviously, it's a big blow to the Jets. It's a big blow to their you know, pass rush. As, he's, as you've talked about, he's a tremendous blitzer. But how does it affect the Jets? How big of a blow is this? And who's going to have to step up uh, in his place? Yeah, so good to be back here for the third episode of Cool Your Jets already. So, yeah, the Avery Williamson injury, uh, I didn't think it was too bad after seeing him walk off yesterday. But when you look back at it, it he did take a pretty big hit to the knee from his own teammate, Tavon Campbell. It's just, you know, just a coincidence. And, you know, stuff like this happens in football all the time. But, uh, you, you know, when he did get hurt and I saw that it was him who, you know, had the injury because – Sometimes you don't know who it is till you see them get up. But when I saw it was him, I immediately thought, uh, you know, just wondered why he was in there at that point late in the second quarter. But uh, I, while I don't agree with the decision for him to be in there that late, and, you know, the Jets are paying for that. Now, I, I don't think you can criticize it too much without knowing answers about why he's in there because, and me and you have discussed this, but, you know, maybe he was in there to just kind of stabilize the second team defense, you know, relay the calls, which is a role that he would have to take over if C.J. Mosley went down. So, he could have just been playing that role. And, you know, maybe he is potentially competing with Blake Cashman for that first team. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that go into it. And it's hard for us to really criticize why he was in there. And, and you know, ultimately, if he doesn't get hurt, we're not even talking about this. But uh, it's football. Stuff happens. And, you know, it, ha- it can happen in any sport at any time. And, you know, still at the end of the day, he's only playing a couple more snaps, leaving him in a couple more drives so the chances of that happening are super low but it, it's still a risk that you wouldn't you would prefer not to take with the guy who 
is in line to play most of the team's defensive snaps. A guy who's only missed one game in his whole in his whole career to date. So uh, it's a pretty big blow, and there it affects the team, the defense, in a lot of different ways. Uh, so it, it definitely is a, a big blow, and this is the kind of injury you don't want to get in the middle of the preseason. You know, a lot of guys are going to get banged up. They're going to miss practice time. They might miss one game, two games. But the the last thing you want to see are are guys who are you know. Uh, suffer an injury that uh, take them out the whole season. So it, it's definitely a blow. And, and Williamson, too, is a great guy, you know, in the locker room. It was a really positive impact there. So it, it's a huge loss. And uh, Blake Cashman now is in the spotlight. So we'll see what – and he's been getting a lot of hype throughout the offseason. And he had a, a promising debut against the Giants, didn't play against the Falcons. But uh, he's right in the spotlight now. Yeah, and you can follow our uh, show on Twitter at CYJPod. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Uh, and you can follow my personal Twitter at Ben W. Blessington. You can also find this podcast anywhere you listen to pod. This is such an awkward segue. I know I'm bringing it back to, to Avery Williamson <laughs> in a second. Uh, you can listen to our podcast anywhere you choose to listen to uh, podcasts, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, wherever. Just search uh, Cool Your Jets. We appreciate any reviews on iTunes. You can also find this podcast and plenty of other great Jets content at turnofthejets.com. Yeah, I, I mean, like. I, I definitely think it's because if Mosley were to go down, Williamson is the guy that would have to make those defensive calls, get the front seven lined up. I think that's probably Greg Williams' logic that Avery should have some experience in game, you know, being the guy, being the Mike linebacker, having to make those calls and and having a veteran presence to help all those young guys that were out there. It makes sense. And as you said, Cashman has been pushing him for playing time. So I'm not as perplexed as to why he's playing versus like, you know, 2013 when Mark Sanchez went down with the torn labrum in the fourth quarter, that one made literally zero sense. But Avery Williamson theoretically does have something to gain because it is a new system and because he would have to fulfill this role if CJ Mosley were to go down and because there's a young guy nipping at his heels in Blake Cashman. So I kind of understand it. Michael, how would you how would you say this affects Greg Williams's defense? Do you think we're going to see a lot more 4-3 looks now that there's the lack of depth uh, at the 3-4 you know, formation? I, I We've talked about it a lot. When Greg Williams came, you know, it was talked about that, you know, we're not going to change the the scheme up. This team is built for a 3-4, and a large part of that was because they had Avery Williamson and at the time Darren Lee. Darren Lee is now C.J. Mosley, so this was kind of built for a 3-4, but if you lose Avery Williamson, C.J. Mosley can be your Mike linebacker in a 4-3. Blake Cashman, you know, I think he can be the sub-linebacker. Nickel packages, I also think he can be a weak side 4-3 outside linebacker. So there is some, uh, you know, advantages. Do you think the Jets are going to play even more four three looks now that Avery Williamson is is injured? Yeah, I think it definitely increases the chances of that because the one area where Williamson seems pretty likely to be a big drop off to whoever's replacing him is in run defense, and we know what he can do filling gaps as as a, both a pass rusher and a run defense. We know those are his strengths. That's where he's been really good. So uh, he de- you definitely lose some muscle and some ability to stuff the run. With him, so I think you could see a difference in the way they call, in the way Greg Williams is going to call the defense, and it definitely. And Cashman, you know, I don't think he's going to step right into the same role Williamson would be playing. I think you're going to see a combination of the other guys stepping into, uh, you know, Phil Phil Williamson's shoes. But I think the depth at inside linebacker, I think it's okay. You look at Cashman, a guy who's been getting first team reps and uh, impressed a veteran defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, who has you know no reason to really hand this spot to Blake Cashman with the Jets. The Jets are paying more money to inside linebackers than any other team in the league with the two guys they have. But Blake Cashman has yeah, still been getting yeah, his first-team reps. Yeah, so, and, look how, and look how Greg Williams is, is treating Ja'Kai Polite, who is a higher pick than Blake exactly. Cashman. Exactly. definitely so shows that Cashman... You, look at, is, you have yeah. Cashman, who you know 
you hope is playing as good can play as good as the way he's performed so far in camp suggests he can. And you have Neville Hewitt, a guy who came in last year and really wasn't a drop off from Darren Lee when he played. So I think and you also saw James Burgess make a play with that pick six at the end uh, last night. So I think the depth at inside linebacker is okay. And it, Williamson's definitely a loss. I think it lowers the floor because Blake Cashman's a rookie and rookies can have rookies can really struggle in the league. You see that every single position. There's a reason there's an adjustment period, no matter who you are. So the floor definitely lowers. Avery Williamson is a stable player, a guy who, you know what you're going to get with him. You're going to get really good blitzing. You're going to get strong pass rushing, good tackling, overall toughness you know he's not a great cover guy but he's overall solid with the different things he can do but with the rookie the floor definitely is going to go down because we don't know cashman could really struggle as good as he's been so far in camp or at least apparently he could really struggle we don't know but i think the ceiling does potentially race a little bit because this is a pass first league avery will avery is not the best cover guy i mean he, he's an athletic guy who i think can make some plays but he definitely has some lapses you know, in zone coverages, just recognizing different things. But in in coverage, Williamson's definitely a little shaky. But Cashman, I think, definitely, you know, with his athletic ability, with what we saw from him at Minnesota and what he's been doing in, in practice, I think there definitely is the potential for him to be better in coverage, even though it's not a lot. I think the, the potential is there. Since we know kind of know Williamson's going to be there, Cashman could yeah. be better. But uh, So I think the ceiling raises a little bit, but the floor definitely goes way down. And I think... I think you'd expect there to be a dip from Cashman to Williamson and and just overall with the collective effort you get replacing him. But I do think the ceiling potentially raises a little bit with what Cashman, because we don't know what Cashman can bring. The, he, his ceiling, we don't know how high it could be. So yeah. I think the, the ceiling goes up a little bit, but the floor is definitely way down. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a blow to the Jets. I mean, this this is exactly what you don't want to see in training camp or preseason is a, is a good starter go down because Avery Williamson is a good football player. Uh, and he's a starter and he's a leader on this team. So it is a blow to the Jets. I think you put it perfectly that the ceiling, however, does go up with Blake Cashman because this is a high ceiling rookie and a guy that many thought could take Williamson's spot in 2020. Uh, you know, there's definitely going to be growing pains. So that's I think that where that that low floor comes in. Uh, they're going to be growing pains. There's going to be missed tackles and blown assignments or whatever. But I do think he is is better suited to be a pass coverage linebacker. And the duo of Mosley and, and Williamson. Now, CJ Mosley is is good and or solid in coverage, but adding Cashman and if if Cashman can reach his full potential as is a good coverage linebacker, as you said, this raises the ceiling of the defense. Yeah, Look, and, if, and he, if, Cashman has the athleticism to be like a, a cover guy to like yeah. run with running backs and tight ends. Mosley isn't really athletic enough to do that but he's he's really good with you know in zone and just getting everyone lined up and just overall iq but he doesn't have the athletic upside but that's what cashman can do and i think playing next to mosley is just this is where having mosley's really going to pay off to play cashman next to him to start off his career is really going to have a huge impact i think yeah, I mean, to put it into Matt, I mean, in Madden 20, Blake, I mean, this is never how you should evaluate players, but Blake Cashman is like a 90 speed in Madden 20. <laughs> so he's already my user in my franchise. But, uh, you know, I guess I would say that uh, it's one of those things where if I had to choose a position uh, where the Jets could lose a starter, middle linebacker would be one of the positions. They have a lot of depth there. I mean, it's not something that I'm happy about, obviously. Uh, and it is something that I'm concerned about and it adds another red flag to, you know, this defense as far as now you have to worry about potentially a hole in the middle, not to mention the cornerback depth, which is already an issue. Um, but, you know, 
it's not the end of the world for the Jets. I don't think this is an injury that'll throw off their whole season. Like, you know, if they suffered it, if Jamal Adams went down with this, you know, ACL, God forbid, I think that that's something where the Jets would be, you know, a significantly worse football team where I think you could knock two or three wins off this off, you know, uh, their record this season with Avery Williamson. I don't think that happens. I think CJ Mosley, uh, is good enough. I think Greg Williams can scheme around it. And I'm confident in the depth that they have between Cashman and between Hewitt and now James Burgess, who has experience in Greg Williams' system. So it's a disappointing blow. It's not the news, uh, you know, any of us wanted to wake up to. Um, I, I, and I know Michael, you were in the game, uh, in person and you saw the injury and you tweeted that you didn't think it was anything major. You know, you saw him walking off and even there was the report that he, you know, he walked out of the locker room last night and thought he was fine. He didn't know until, you know, the middle of the night this morning or whatever. Um, but you were at the game, Michael. So why don't you just give us, you know, kind of your overall thoughts on the feel of, you know, obviously it's a tremendous stadium in Atlanta, but just kind of witnessing the Jets second game in person, you were behind the bench. Just kind of talk about the things that you saw, your overall, th- you know, thoughts on the game, things that were good, things that were bad, and just other things that you saw in person that maybe our listener who had to watch it on t- uh, TV uh, did not get to see. Yeah, well, well, first of all, the the stadium out there in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz, is a, a really nice stadium. It's air-conditioned in there, which is awesome because it's 100 degrees in Atlanta right now. So uh, that's really good. Uh, the roof was closed, but the screen in there is really cool. But it's a, it's a great stadium. But uh, in terms of the Jets, I was focusing on – I saw some people on Twitter saying they wanted a Jamal Adams cam. So I took that upon myself and recorded a couple of videos of him. He, he is so active on the sidelines. He's just always dancing, like standing on the bench. He's the first guy to go out there and congratulate Burgess from the bench after he recorded that pick six. So he is just a ton of fun to watch, even when he's on the bench. But uh, in, in terms of the game, I think uh, – I was looking at the cornerback position. That's what I think most people were focusing on after that Giants game. And the one guy who stood out to me was Alex Brown, who actually was a Joe Douglas pickup coming over from the Eagles. So he should already have a leg up on the competition just since he is a guy who Joe Douglas brought in. But he also kind of looked, he looked better than anyone else last night. I thought he made a couple of big hits underneath, but even in addition to those, I thought he was easily the most competent corner in coverage. And granted he was playing with, you know, the last string he's playing, you know, throughout the the later parts of the second half, but I, I thought in coverage he looked more competent than anyone else did. And I'm saying more competent because he wasn't fantastic. He did get beat a couple of times, but I, I think everyone else, again, like the Giants game, really struggled. There, there were a lot of drops from the Falcons receivers that were just really awful. I mean, it was a preseason crowd, but the boosts were out uh, from the Falcons fans. But uh, I think Brown looked really good in coverage. He was He's playing off a lot, but he, he showed some good speed to really break on stuff underneath. And that's what kind of stood out to me. But Brown looked pretty good. And especially since he's a Joe Douglas pickup, I think that's worth noting. But, uh, yeah, so with the corners, I was looking at that. Brown stood out. Uh, the kicking, obviously, is a question mark. Taylor Bertolette missing a couple of extra points, which I know we're going to talk about more later. But uh, I think Alex Brown really was the takeaway for me. And it's uh, it's an under-the-radar kind of choice there. But uh, I did start to key on him after he made a few plays. And for the most part, he did look pretty impressive to me. Yeah, the two most interesting parts about this team, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say interesting, but the, the parts that have uh, the most potential for changeover is is cornerback and kicker. And I think for cornerback, I think you're going to see, you know, three or four Joe Douglas guys 
by we by the time week one rolls around it. You know, I think a guy like Alex Brown made a good case to make this roster, but I think you're going to see the Jets be, as a lot of people talked about, super active at the waiver wire. I could still even see them trading for someone, especially if Tremaine Johnson isn't ready to go. Uh, by week one because if he's not ready to go week one that raises questions is he going to be ready for week two and we do not want to be trotting Kyron Brown out there to guard Jarvis Landry and Daryl Roberts on on Odo Beckham Jr. so I definitely just think you're going to see a lot of moves at cornerback but yeah seeing a guy like Alex Brown just step up that's really what the Jets need right now is to know that they their you know their backups and their depth are not going to just be bona fide scrubs um yeah as far as some of my takeaways I mean, how could you not? How could one of them not be Sam Darnold? And how he's, you know, fingers crossed, he's still looking good. I mean, he he looks like the guy that we saw at the end of last season, but even better. He looks way more comfortable in the system. Adam Gase is clearly just letting him air it out. It's preseason. It's vanilla offense and vanilla defense. But you know, it's just clear how much trust Adam Gase has in Sam Darnold. I think you're gonna you're gonna see passes on first down, which is something Jeremy Bates didn't start doing until like week 15. Um, so. I'm excited, obviously, about him. I thought he had some tremendous plays. That one throw to Anunua, where his that little shoulder dip that gets him out of you know so many sacks, and he and he threw it right to Anunua at the back of the end zone. Should have been a touchdown. It wasn't, but I think that was just probably the most impressive yeah. play to me. Just his movement zip. in the pocket just continues to be really, really impressive. Yeah, and people talk about that just that innate feel for pressure that he has, uh, and how clutch of a gene that is to have in a young quarterback, especially with a with a team that has questions all along the offensive line. I was obviously concerned that he was going to be he was without four of the five week one star expected week one starters, uh, considering that Chuma Udoga was starting at right tackle, Tom Compton was starting at right guard, Jonathan Harrison was starting at center, and Alex Lewis was starting at left guard. So that really just left his left tackle in Kelvin Beecham. And he's still, you know, and the offensive line depth actually looked better than I thought they would. They did a solid job, even though Darnold took a sack at one point. But he just has such a feel to get out of it, to step up, how to maneuver, and it gets him out of so much. And it, and it allows the Jets you know, to, to get a 25 yard, you know, play downfield that otherwise wouldn't develop with, with a, you know, below average offensive line. Uh, yeah, he just had so many impressive throws that back shoulder, you know, to Robbie Anderson was impressive. The first play when he did that little shoulder dip to the left to, to, uh, to move, uh, the linebacker down to the flat. And then he hit a Nunwa. There was just so much to, to, to love about Sam Darnold, you know, after hearing the Avery Williamson news today, uh, I'm perfectly fine without seeing him for the rest of the preseason, uh, preseason although I, I think we will see him next week for a little bit. But it's pretty clear to me that he's ready for week one. Adam Gase is ready for week one. This offense is ready f- uh, for week one. Uh, the other takeaway I had, and Michael, obviously I want to get your thoughts on this, was that Matt Darr was the starting punter. I don't know who the hell Matt Darr thinks he is replacing Lack Edwards, but uh, I figured we should get your thoughts on this. I mean, you saw this travesty in person. This is your hero. Yes, falling. I did. In front I of did. you. It's, it's a travesty, really. That's what it is. And I think people who – there are people out here who actually think Matt Darr has the right to come in here and challenge Lachlan Edwards like this. And it's just tough that we have to live in a world where people think that's an acceptable thing. But these are the circumstances, and we have to deal with them. And the fact is that our king, our savior, Lachlan Edwards, went out there and he outpunted Matt Darr. He didn't hold too good. Taylor, I mean – I'm, I'm not going to blame him. Taylor Burlett, He, you missed two extra points. He was trash. He, Lachlan held the ball really well in this game. He outpunted Matt Darr. His average was better. Uh, he got. He didn't have a touchback. Matt Darr had a touchback, but I, I don't know. I'm a little worried. This kind of there's a lot positive about the Jets right now, but of, of everything going on, thinking Matt Darr is able to come in here and compete with Edwards, that that might be the most questionable thing. But Edwards, I, he did do a pretty good job last night. I think. Uh, out kicking Matt Darr, I think. But uh, 
We'll, we'll see. I, I don't really know how this is going to play out. I'm not sure why there's a competition here, but not a competition at kicker. That's uh, something that's <laughs> legitimately questionable. But uh, I think, honestly, though, I think Edwards is, last year he set a career high in net average. I think he was 10th in the league in net punting average last year. The Jets in punt DVOA were, I think, somewhere around that 10th range. So let, first couple of years, Edwards did struggle a little bit. His numbers were... In his rookie year, I actually think he was very close to the bottom. He improved a little bit in his second year. And last year, I think he was kind of top 10-ish sort of level. So he has been improving year over year. And I think the holding stuff is legitimate. We continue, well, I mean, so far this season, we haven't seen too much proof of it. We'll see what happens in the regular <laughs> season. But there has been some decent proof there at the holding. But, uh, you know, even just with the Good punting hands. and take, taking the holding out, his punting has been he, – he was pretty good last year. At least I thought, and the numbers seem to support that. But – uh, it, it's interesting that Dar has been in there, and I think it, it would be better to have a kicker in there, uh, a second guy to compete at kicker than at punter. But, uh, you, you know, we'll see. I, I hope Edwards takes this spot because he is my guy. And, you know, last night we, we were really close. We had good seats, and I was watching Locke warm up, and he just he just got this aura and this energy. He's such a – he's got this infectious sort of energy about him. He inspires the entire team. People like to talk about Jamal Adams, but I think Lachlan Edwards is the source of what's going on with the New York Jets right now. So I hope Lachlan Edwards makes the team, and if he doesn't, I think there are some serious questions about the New York Jets and just the people who are making decisions for this franchise. <laughs> well, those questions have literally always existed. Yeah, I mean, I find it hard to believe <laughs> that, that Dar would, you know, overtake Lack Edwards. I mean, I, I mean, look, he did punt for Adam Gase, but one, uh, Lack Edwards has punted for Brant Boyer, and Adam Gase even said in his, his press conference this week when he was talking about kicking that he, he he made it sound like he defers a lot of special teams decisions to Brant Boyer and Joe Douglas. Kind of let he he said, you know, I'm not a special teams expert or whatever, kicking expert or whatever he said. So I find it hard to believe that Boyer would would leave Lack Edwards. Um, you know, I think I, maybe it's just part of healthy competition. Maybe it's one of those things where. They know that they're going to cut Dar, so they're saving uh, Lack's leg a little bit while allowing Dar to to audition a little bit. I I would find it really hard to believe that Lack Edwards would get cut after such a good you know uh, season last season. I mean, you have to remember that these guys do see the you know uh, them in practice every day. They're not stupid. They are football evaluators, and if one guy is clearly out punting the other, no matter if he's been you know under the the current special teams coordinator or he was here in years past, they'll go with the better punter. So. From everything that we've heard in in uh, practice and in training camp, Lack Edwards has been the better punter. So that's who I expect him, you know, to go with. But I found it, you know, very funny that the the fan number one fan in the Lack Edwards fan club didn't even get to see him start uh, for the one preseason game that I he actually goes got to. some num- some numbers here on Dar. So he was the he played all sixteen games as the punter for the Dolphins in 20, 2015 and twenty sixteen, and in twenty fifteen the Dolphins in team punt DVOA. So that. That is the it summarizes the whole punt team's performance. So factors returns as well. In 2015, they had the second worst DVOA in the punting game. 2016, they were the 11th worst. He wasn't on team in 2017. 2018, he only played five games for the Bills, and he averaged only about 40 yards a punt, which is terrible. So I don't know what these people are watching with the Jets. I trust Brant Boyer. He did great last season, but. I'm going to go with your theory. Hopefully they're just saving Lachlan's leg because it's a precious leg, one of the most precious in the NFL, and you got to keep it You got to keep it fresh. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think I think it's part saving Lachlan's leg, and I think it's also, you look, Matt Dar is a veteran who clearly knows Adam Gase, and maybe Gase is just giving him a chance to, to audition for other teams. 
Um, because look, if he's a guy that was just kind of sitting on the bench all, all preseason and was maybe kicking a little bit in the fourth quarter, that's not really going to be enough to get him to sign, especially with those analytics that you just showed. But hey, I mean, look, Dart didn't have a bad game. Um, yeah, but, he was okay. He was yeah, good. He, he was. Fine, I, I mean, but, they were comparable, for being honest. I mean, Edwards' numbers look a little bit better, but he also, I think, gave up the biggest return because he outkicked once. But uh, I, just to be just complete, just you know, looking at this fairly, I think it's okay to have competition. Edwards isn't elite. He hasn't been a consistently elite punter in the league, so I think it's fine. But I, it, when you put it next to the kicker position, that's where it kind of becomes questionable because. You know, even if there aren't the best names out there for kicker, because we know there aren't other than Matt Bryant, really, uh, you still should have some competition there. But, you know, the spirit of competition makes sense for punter. That's fine. But just to not do it at kicker is what kind of makes it the punter competition look kind of questionable. Yeah, and you bring up kicker. So let's talk a little bit about it. Obviously, Taylor Bertolette uh, missed uh, two extra points, so it doesn't seem as if he will make the roster. That we, I mean, we kind of already knew that that he wasn't actually that much better uh, than Chandler Catanzaro. Um, you know, he struggled in the AAF. He's struggled pretty much everywhere he's kicked. I mean, last preseason, I think he only missed one kick or whatever. But even in practice, I mean, he shanked a few field goals. So, look, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that maybe it'll click from uh, you know another year. But I don't think this is the situation um, for him. So, Michael, I mean, we talk about analytics, so let's talk about some of the the, the options that the Jets uh, could bring in using, you know, your big brain uh, with all those analytics that are just stashed away from, you know, the 70s. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about a few of those options. Obviously, the, the one that's coming to everybody's mind that's available right now is 44-year-old Matt Bryant. Uh, his wife tweeted at you uh, and kind of <laughs> made it sound like if the Jets call, Matt Bryant would come and kick for the Jets. You know, what numbers do you have on Matt Bryant? What do you think about the prospects of him kicking? Are you confident in him uh, as the starting kicker uh, of the Jets in 2019, or do you think they should go elsewhere? Yeah, well, Matt Bryant is interesting because this is a guy who, you know, he like you said, he's getting up there. He's 44 years old, but you look at his performance, and it doesn't really seem like there's been any drop-off. He hit 95% of his field goals last year. That was a career high, and it wasn't like he's kicking short either. He's 4 or 5 from 50 plus, 7 of 7 on uh, the 40 to 49 yard range and extra points. He only missed two of those. So uh, he's been really good. And it's not even like that as a fluke year. He's obviously going to regress from that since it was his career best, but eight of his past nine seasons. So going back to 2010, he's been at least 85% on field goals and he only missed extra point. He missed one extra point in 2016, two in 2018, every other season he made all of his extra points. So there doesn't even, regardless of his age, there doesn't even seem to be a sign that he's getting worse. And, I did see someone suggest to me that, you know, kickoffs could potentially be a part of it. And I think that's true. I think teams do value a guy who could do kickoffs. And Matt Bryant does not or has did not do the kickoffs for the Falcons over the final few years he was there. So I, I guess that is a drawback. But, I mean, kickoffs, you don't really need to be able to generate touchbacks because I, I mean, you, the numbers suggest that, you know, getting allowing teams to return is better as long as you can place well and, you know, just line it up with your coverage unit, get good hang time that allowing teams to return it is better because on average returns don't get back to the 25 yard line and touchdown. The risk of giving up a touchdown is canceled out by uh, a frequency, which is almost equal of the other team fumbling the ball and giving it back to you. So uh, I, I guess touchbacks, maybe teams value that. And, and, you know, it's not just about producing touchbacks. It's like I said, you want to have guys who can control it, get some hang time on those kickoffs to allow the kick return, the coverage team to get down there and stop those returns. So maybe that is a drawback, but you know, Maybe could have someone else bring someone else yeah. in to do that. You could have 
Lachlan Edwards. Well, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. Yeah, I mean, hey, Madden, he does great. I use him every game. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just one of those things where it's like, if that was the concern with Matt Bryan, I mean, he's clearly a superior kicker to Taylor Bertolette. Yeah, let's see who can kick off between Lack Edwards and Matt Dar. I mean, I don't think there's gonna be that much of a drop off in kickoffs. And as you said, you know, there is research to to suggest with now that the kickoff's coming out to the 25 that it's better to kind of sky kick it, you know, to the one yard line or whatever, and let them try to return it. And especially with the success that Brant Boyer has had as a special teams coordinator and covering kicks and whatnot. Yeah, uh, that's out, that that has been consistently good because the Jets special teams did struggle in Boyer's first two years, but the kick coverage wasn't the problem. They've been good at that. Yeah, so it's just like one of those things where, yeah, stick Lack Edwards back there if you're confident in Matt Bryan as a kicker. Have Lack Edwards do the kickoffs, kick him to the one yard line or whatever, and just trust Brant Boyer's scheme as far as covering. The other thing that, that you have to think about with Matt Bryan, uh, which is actually a positive, you know, although, although he's 44, it's probably beneficial to him. And we talked about this a little bit before. Uh, not necessarily about kickers or whatever, but it's probably beneficial to him that he's skipping training camp and, and preseason and whatnot. If the Jets sign him next week, he will have saved his 44-year-old leg, uh, you know, what, 200 kicks or whatever? I think, like, at this point, Matt Bryan doesn't really need to kick during preseason or whatever. I'm sure he's kicking, you know, at home or whatever and staying in shape and making sure he's still got it, but he doesn't need to kick, you know, 20 balls a day at practice or whatever. Uh, we were talking about it with, with Matt Ryan. It's like, what the hell is Matt Ryan getting out of preseason? Like, why was he playing all the way basically until halftime is what me and you were talking about, especially behind, you know, second stringers at offensive line. It was one of those things where it's like, what is Matt Ryan going to face in a, you know, week two preseason game that he hasn't faced in his 11 years in the NFL? Like, what is he going to gain from that? You know, we've already talked about, or many of NFL players have talked about how preseason is, is really not that important. Definitely not necessary as, as Carson Wentz put it. And I definitely think in the new CBA, you're going to see an adjustment to it. You know, I talked about that. We're getting off topic a little bit here, but I'll bring it back to kickers that, you know, I think it should really just be two preseason games. That first game, your starters play maybe a half, a quarter to a half or whatever. And then it's all backups for the second half and your in your second game. But you, you make training camp a little bit longer and you add more joint practices or whatever, giving them some scrimmages and stuff. But in those situations, you know, your quarterback can have a red contact jersey or whatever. Like, it's just there are some situations where I understand if you have a young quarterback who needs the reps, and in that case you play him that whole two game preseason, or whatever you play him, whatever. But like Matt Ryan, what is Matt Ryan getting out of preseason? Like he doesn't even play the Jets this year. He doesn't play Greg Williams. There's nothing he's going to learn, and all it could do is just get him injured. Um, but as far as Matt Bryant goes, I think it's one of those things where again it, it might help him uh, to sit out, and so he he's an intriguing option. He's probably he is at the top of my list. I would sign him uh, right now, uh, but but. Uh, I'm happy that he hasn't really, you know, burned through his leg uh, in the summer. Uh, talking about another guy uh, in Minnesota, it, it's it's fairly obvious that they're going to go uh, with the kicker they just traded for in Vedvik. I don't, I don't remember his first name uh, from the Ravens. So that means Dan Bailey, former Cowboys kicker, he tried out for the Jets a little bit last year, um, uh, is probably going to be available. Should be available. Michael, do you have any numbers on Dan Bailey and how successful he uh, could be as a kicker uh, in New York? Yeah, so so last year I actually wanted Dan Bailey. Like I was I was the one who was out here like, oh, get Dan Bailey, don't get Jason Myers. He sucks. And uh, he Myers turned out to be a Pro Bowler, and Bailey was terrible last year. He only he only made seventy five percent last year for the Vikings, and only one kick from fifty plus. So he was Bailey's kicking mostly short kicks last year, and he still only made seventy five percent. And you know that was his second straight year in which he made seventy five percent. He actually had a down year. 
for the Cowboys in 2017. So Bailey's now had three straight down years after the way he started his career off so good. Over his first five years, I believe he made about 90% looking at it here right now. So, yeah, he made 90, 91% over his first five years. Over his last three years, he's made 84, 75, and 75. So uh, he had an, I think he had, he had an injury to Cowboys in, 20, in 2017, I believe. He was doing pretty good in the first half of that season, bouncing back. Then he got hurt, came back, and finished the season really slowly. And he didn't really recover at the Vikings last year. So, you know, I, this is a guy who had a really good start to his career, was right there with Justin Tucker as the two elite guys, a kicker in the league. And then he got hurt and had... He's had some struggles bouncing back, so he's I mean, he's worth taking a flyer on. He's, he's still been good at extra points. He hasn't missed those too often. Uh, only three missed over the past couple of years, which is solid. So I, I think still a bad Dan Bailey might be better than whatever, whatever else the Jets might go with, but he's definitely not. Uh, he has to be able to prove he can get back to the level he was during his early seasons with the Cowboys. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. He was he at one point was uh, a top kicker in this league, as you talked about. But, you know, Brant Boyer did see him try out last year, and he obviously wasn't impressive enough where the Jets went with pretty much a journeyman, excuse me, and Jason Myers, and it, and it worked out for them. So, uh, look, could I see the Jets signing Dan Bailey? Sure, but I still think Matt Bryan is the more intriguing option. Another guy um, that is arguably a more intriguing option than Dan Bailey, however, comes with probably a much lower floor and a in a – guy who's going to make some Jets fans groan at the thought of him kicking. But Cody Parkey, he did have his highest year, or his, his highest year, his best year uh, under Adam Gase in 2017, kicking for the Dolphins. He had a 91.3% you know, percent field goal. Uh, I just took Nanny his whole, whole shtick uh, <laughs> <laughs> percentage. Um, but obviously last year he did not have a good year for, for the Bears. Missed a lot of kicks, including one that would have sent him to the NFC Championship. So Cody Parkey, still a relatively young guy, had success under Adam Gase. You know, and Brant Boyer has kind of been able to show that he can make a kicker who's kind of fallen off, um, you know, return to, to his past glory. Uh, Michael, your thoughts on, on the idea of Cody Parkey being the Jets kicker in 2019? Well, first of all, I got to correct you there because you said the kick was going to send them to the NFC Championship, but it was a divisional round, so that's why you leave that to me. But with Parkey's numbers, last what? year, you said he's going to go to the He said you said he missed the kick to go to the NFC Championship. Was I wrong? Was that yeah? A, yeah it was in the that divisional was, round? Is in the wild card round? Okay, that was who did the Eagles play in the divisional round? He was with the Bears. He missed against the Eagles. Yeah, no, no. Who I know, but who did the Eagles then play in the division? Oh, they played the Saints, and they lost. That was in the NFC Championship, though. No, that was the divisional round. The championship oh. was the Saints and the Rams. Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> oh, God, you are right. Yeah, and there was the pass interference. Yeah, oh, Jesus. Speaking of Parky, right there you sounded like how most Bears fans probably sounded when you missed that <laughs> kick. Well, to be fair, I, I don't really have an excuse. That was just a mental lapse. All right, my apologies. Yes, just send him to the divisional round. Sorry, yeah, continue. So Cody Parkey last year was very bad, 76.7%, and he only tried 250-plus yarders, so his di average distance was not high. Uh, he missed three kicks under 40 yards. Uh, he was 9 of 12 from 40 to 49, which is below average. So, and he missed three extra points, and he had missed three extra points the season before that, but... Uh, in 2017 with the Dolphins, he did have a pretty good year. Uh, he made 21 out of 23, which is 91%. And he didn't – Parkey has not been a good distance guy. That's really his biggest issue. He's only made seven 50-yard kicks in his career out of nine tries. So 
Uh, that's kind of the thing with him. But when he's been good in his first season with the Eagles and with the Dolphins in 2017, he's been more, pretty automatic on those underneath or the shorter kicks. And that's what he did with the Dolphins in 2017. But uh, the thing that's interesting with Park, he's after 2017, he got a four-year, $15 million deal, which is, uh, in terms of years and total money, is exactly the same as what well, another kicker got in free agency this year. His name is Jason Myers, and he got a four-year, $15, uh, $15 million deal uh, with the Seahawks. And obviously it's different since, uh, you know, if the Jets were going to re-sign Myers, he would be staying in the same place, unlike Park, he went somewhere else. And, you know, going from Miami to Chicago, which is a little bit different in terms of the kicking conditions. But uh, similar numbers in terms of what those two guys got after their good years. And 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 to be fair, Myers, his good season was a lot better than Parkey's. And Parkey made a lot of short kicks. He still missed a few extra points. So Myers was definitely – and he also didn't kick that many field goals. You know, Parkey only tried 23 in 2017. I think Myers made tried, – tried at least 30 with the Jets last year. So Myers was definitely better. But it, I think it is interesting how they both got – very similar deals, and we know how Parkey took a huge setback with the Bears this past season. But, uh, I mean, I guess familiar. you wouldn't think familiarity really matters with, you know, special teams guys as much, especially for an offensive head coach. But, you know, Matt Darr is here challenging the King, Lachlan Edwards, so I wouldn't put it past them to go after Parkey as well. But, uh, I mean, Parkey has had a couple really solid seasons, so he's worth bringing in. I, really, there's no one who's not worth bringing in at this point with what the Jets have gotten from this position four missed extra points in two preseason games. So, I mean, uh, Parkey's a guy who's had some good seasons, just whatever, bring him in. I would, hopefully he's not the week one kicker because he's still not solid overall when you look at his old body of work draft career, but you know, just, just get some competition, just get someone who could be just decent, just decent. That's all we need. Yeah, and, and before we move on to the mailbag, is there anybody else outside of Parkey, Bryant, or uh, Bailey, uh, you know, across the league and some of those other, you know, kicking competitions where I'm sure the Jets and Joe Douglas are monitoring those teams who have brought in another kicker? Is there any guy that kind of stands out to you uh, as far as that, that the Jets could sign to, to be their kicker in 2019? Uh, Well, to be honest, the only guy is, uh, this is actually a guy who I did not know existed until right before this podcast, because you brought him up to me, is... Uh, Joey Sly with the Panthers. It's a good what a name. name. He's, what a he's name. got an impressive beard. So he's got the beard. He's got a good name. And and he's also number four, which is a really good number choice. But he's going to have to give that up when he comes to the Jets, if he does. But, you know, those, those <laughs> Maybe things not. are solid. Uh, let's not say that. Let's, let's, let's okay, well, they could, they could retire his number. Oh, that's true. That You're, you're really smart. That was a good take. Yeah. That makes up for the Bears mistake. That really yeah, does. Yes, so. That was really fun. Four used to be my favorite number because my first season cheering for the Jets was when Brett Favre came. And so I just had like three different oh, Brett Favre jerseys. Second so. best Jet to wear number four. But yeah. But anyway, this Joey Sly guy, apparently he's pretty good. Uh, I, I think you had, I mean, I didn't look at his numbers, but he, he made a couple 50 yarders, didn't he, in the preseason game? Yeah, I'm going to stall while I pull this up. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, he hit uh, 29, 42, and 55 last week, um, you know, and his extra points or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I don't think he's going to make the roster, um, but if he does, then that means Graham Gano hits the open market, and I think that's a guy that the Jets would, would pass. Also, on. He, also, he was born in April, which is the same month that a I certain guy on the Jets was born, and he wears number four, and he's really good at holding. So that that's another plus. Oh, so unbelievably creepy. But uh, I, <laughs> I hope that Black Edwards makes this team just so we can try to get him on the podcast. Um, I don't want you to think I just know that. I looked it up right now, just, just okay. to be clear. Uh, honestly, Michael, I don't know. I Part of me does think you just knew that. 
All right, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be completely honest. I did not. I looked okay. up right now. Check right. my history. Fair. I, I, that's a dark place, Michael. I don't want to check your history. <laughs> All right, let's go to the mailbag. Uh, from at TJ Tank 896 uh, TD interception ratio for Darnold this year, hashtag AskCYJ. Um, well, first of all, on, this, on these mailbags, really enjoying them. You know, at first I thought, you know, maybe we were just going to do it for the first episode, but it's really fun. It's a really good way to, to involve our listeners. We do take most of them and the ones that we cut are pretty much just for time reasons, just this isn't a three hour podcast, but really love them. So just, you know, we're going to keep asking them for, for them every week Just submit them, tweet us with hashtag ask really like them and something we want to keep doing to, to get our listeners involved. But anyways, TD interception ratio for Darnold this year. Now, Michael, we've already talked a little bit about the TDs. We both think he's going to throw around 30. I think I said 31. You said 29. The record is actually 31. We've seen him a little bit in preseason now, and he's obviously looked sharp in his few drives that he's played, so maybe that TD number changes a little bit. But we haven't really talked about the interceptions, and this was an issue for Darnold in his rookie year, you know, throwing 15 picks. Um, you know, he did work on 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 the fumbles. He didn't fumble as much. He only had one strip sack, and that was week 16, or week 17, excuse me. Um, so that's something that, that we should analyze with Darnold because that was a big flaw of his coming out was, you know, the fumbles and the interceptions and whatnot. And obviously his first pass under Adam Gase was nearly a pick six. So Michael, I guess I'll turn it over to you first. Start with the TDs. Do, are you sticking by your 29 prediction or has preseason changed it? Seeing him under Adam Gase, seeing how comfortable he looks, uh, and what are your thoughts on interceptions? And I guess you could add turnovers as, as a whole, um, uh, for Sam Darnold next year. Yeah, so preseason does have me feeling inclined to bring the number up a little bit, but I feel pretty comfortable with 29. I think that's a good number, uh, all things considered. When you look at just the, re- the career production of all the receivers they have on the team, uh, just the leaps that we've seen from other guys from year one to year two, and, and we've seen guys make bigger leaps than that, and he's definitely capable of it. But I think 29 is a good, good solid number I'm comfortable with. But in terms of interception, so he had 15 last year, and that was on only 414 attempts interception percentage uh which is really bad just objectively obviously he's a rookie but interception percentage was 3.6 last year which was better than only Jameis Winston Josh Allen and Ryan Fitzpatrick so obviously not ideal but uh, I think with interceptions he'll definitely be double digits again I don't think he's going to be super low this year I think 12 is a good number I think 12 is good if if he throws about the same amount of passes per game as he did last year which was about 31 which i think is fair because he 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 was throwing more passes a lot last year because when you're trailing a lot you're going to rack up passes because you know he got throw to get back into the game but i think the jets will be trailing less this year so he won't be throwing throwing as many catch-up passes but he's also going to be i think relied upon more earlier in games than he was last year so i think overall his passing volume is going to be pretty similar so i think if he throws if he throws the same amount of passes per game and he plays 16 games He'll throw about 500 passes and say he gets his interception percentage percentage down to about 2.5, which is uh, slightly below average last year. That would be in between 2.5 would be in between what that's about what Ben Roethlisberger put up last year. Roethlisberger, Rivers, Mariota were all in that range. So if he puts up two and a half percent interception percentage, 500 passes, it would be 12 and a half interceptions. So 12 or 13. I'll I'll go with 12. Optimistic there. 29 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting point. You brought up with with how many catch-up uh, games Sam Darnold was in last season. And I think that also, I mean, obviously does, uh, contributes to his lower completion percentage and obviously some of those interceptions as well. Uh, I'm going to go a little lower than you uh, on the interceptions. I think it's going to be right around 10. Uh, I, I really do think he's going to take care of the ball better this year. I think 9 or 10 interceptions. Uh, you know, 
part of the 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 deal with Sam Darnold, and it's part of what makes him so good, is that he's going to take chances. He's go he has you know all the confidence in the world in his arm, and he has a short term memory, so he's going to try to throw it you know over the middle uh, to to you know thread the needle between the corner and the safety or whatever, and that is sometimes going to result in interceptions. I think you're going to see less boneheaded interceptions, balls getting picked off by linebackers that he didn't read, dropping into coverage or whatnot. Um, you even saw the the one against the Giants that almost happened wasn't actually his bonehead. I mean, it was something that definitely would have happened to him his rookie year. I'm glad it kind of happened to him in preseason a little bit, but it was just he read cover one, thought it was man coverage, and it was cover three, and Peppers moved to the flat, and it was almost a pick. So I, you're going to see some of those or whatnot, but I, I'm going to go a little lower. I guess I'll set the bar at 10. Uh, as far as TDs, yeah, I feel pretty confident. I, I think he's going to tie the record this year. I'm, I'm moving it up to 31. Uh, look, I, I think this is just one of those things, and, and we'll talk about this in a, in a, a question you know, down the line here. Uh, I, I think it's one of those perfect marriages between a quarterback and a head coach. I mean, look, that's so premature to say it's only been two preseason games and a training camp and that things could change. But from everything that we've heard from Gase, everything that we've heard from Darnold, even Gase getting hired. I mean, the Jets turned to Darnold to get his input on it. Uh, and I, I just really believe that these two have good chemistry. They clearly like, you know, uh, playing and coaching for, for one another. Uh, and it's one of those things where I think Gase gets to run his offense with the, with the perfect guy. So uh, I have a lot of confidence in Sam Darnold this season. As far as fumbles go, uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where he really worked on. It's probably the most impressive part of his rookie year that, that not many people talk about is, I think he had like 11 fumbles his last year in college or whatnot. It was, it was yeah, a big, I, th- I think con- he lost nine fumbles in his yeah. last season. It was a big concern for a lot of people it was the strip sacks, the fumbling. If he leaves the pocket, how he handles the ball. And somehow Sam Darnold was able to keep his same, you know, elusive, uh, in the pocket ability while keeping two hands on the football and not giving, uh, not dropping the ball. Uh, I mean, you even saw it in uh, in Atlanta game that that third down, or I think it was second down. That pass we talked about uh, to Quincy Anunua, where he where Chuma Doga gets beat by Vic Beasley and he has to step up with the shoulder dip or whatever, and and he throws it right to Anunua in the corner of the end zone, and it was dropped or whatever. But you even just see there that Sam Darnold has two hands on the ball the whole time and he doesn't let go, and I think that was just a big step. Uh, for for Darnold to take this this next year, so I think maybe you'll see you know a fumble or two dr- lost or whatever. Um, but I think that's something that you'll see with the interceptions this year. That's why I think they're going to go down significantly to around ten. And especially if, if a guy's throwing as much as I think he's going to be throwing this year, um, I think he's going to have a higher com- uh, completion percentage when you factor in that they're going to be playing less catch up and they're going to have Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery. So I guess I'll say TDs thirty one, interceptions nine, and fumbles two. Just to jump in, this is really interesting. I'm looking at, so we both said, so you said 30, 31 and 10 is what you said. Yeah. All right. And I said 29 and I said 29, 12. So there are two guys last year that had really close ratios to that. There was one guy who had 30 touchdowns, 10 picks, and one guy who had 29 touchdowns, 11 picks. So the guy closer to you is a 30 and 10 guy. My guy is a 29 and 11 guy. Who do you think those two guys are? I had a bet one, one AFC, one we- NFC. I'm going to guess that the guy that's closer to you is better because you sound pretty excited about this stat. So I'm going to go, the, the guy closer to you is Russell Wilson, and the guy closer to me is Philip Rivers. I don't know. All right. So the 13-10 guy was an, Without al- he's an almost jet. He's an almost jet. Kirk Cousins. Yes. And oh, the fuck. 29-11 guy <laughs> is, he he's, he's pretty old. He's almost as old as Matt Bryant. Uh, I would say we don't like him that much. Uh, Tom Brady. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Yeah, but, well, yeah. Let's hope it sticks so, closer to your yeah. number. Right? But also, I, I want what you were saying earlier about just the connection between Darnold and Gaze. I want to talk about that a little bit because, uh, because like you said, you don't want to just prematurely 
say it's going to be great just because he had a couple good preseason drives or was good in one drive against the Giants. The title of the podcast is Clean Jets. Yeah, so Clean Jets a little bit there. But the thing is just (laughs) you want – every team is going to be pretty positive in the preseason. Most teams, unless there is a team that has a complete disaster going on, everyone's going to be pretty pretty positive. So the thing is you want to try to – you want to try and separate – like real positivity from fake positivity. And you don't really know what's real or not until you actually see the results. So it's impossible to do, but there's just something about the energy of this team and just the overall positive outlook, whether it's from the players, the coaches, even and the biggest thing for me, I think is the media. This is, this team does not really get positive coverage that often. The media does not talk positive about the jets. We're used to that. And, and it's deserved. The jets have not been good. They missed the playoffs. Uh, eight years in a row now, so it's not like they deserved it. But still, the outlook has been—it's usually a pretty pretty negative in terms of how they're covered. And again, they deserve it. But still, just the way that the media is covering this team after they won—they won four games last year. They hired Adam Gase, a guy who was, did not win a playoff game with the Dolphins, did not have a good reputation with them. They hired Greg Williams and the Browns, a guy with a good reputation, but you know went out with uh, Cleveland not on a great foot. But still, just so positive with the way everyone covering this team has talked about them. So, and we'll see how it happens, but it, it just seems like a diff. It doesn't seem like that average preseason positivity. It seems like something different and, and we'll see if it's legitimate or not, but it, it just seems different. Yeah. I mean, you see, I mean, even, you know, a good friend of the podcast, or I guess it's not a good friend of the podcast, this podcast yet, but a good friend of mine on Twitter, Travis Wingfield, who covers the dolphins and is a big dolphins fan. I mean, he's even, Talking about, damn, I think Sam Darnold's going to be really, you know, fucking good. You see, you know, Bill's pages, you know, tweeting videos of Darnold and saying, you know, shit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's certainly not just Jets bias at this point. It's one of those things where, you know, not just for Sam Darnold, but for this team as a whole, people are overall pretty positive. You know, and that's obviously, you know, Mike Greenberg got a lot of hate for saying that scares him or what. I kind of agree with them. I don't agree with them fully that that I think I think this will actually will work out for the Jets. But yeah, as, as a Jets fan who's who's been through plenty of seasons where expectations are high and they they crap the bed and the expectations are low where they play really well, I'm I'm obviously worried. But I, I am very happy with the direction of this team and and I'm very confident in how good this team is going to be this year. You know, I don't think they're going to be win a Super Bowl this year, but I think this is a playoff team. I'm pretty confident in that prediction. You can tell me to cool your Jets or whatever, but you know, I think this offense is going to be a top 10 offense this year. Uh, I'm worried about the secondary. Uh, you know, obviously there's some depth issues kind of all around the place, but I think this, it is an offensive league. It's a passing league. And I think the jets have, you know, started on the right path to having that formula win them games this year. So I think this is a playoff team. And I think after another draft and free agency, this is a team that's contending, uh, on Sam Darnold's rookie deal. So look, that, that might be a bold take or whatever. That might be something that makes me eat my words, but I, I'm really confident in the direction of the, this team. And, and obviously members of the media are as well. Um, Let's move on to question number two um, uh, from at underscore Pedro Augusto 99 hashtag ask CYJ. How soon do you think we'll see Bell on the field? Also, do you think Montgomery could start at wide receiver during the season if uh, Anderson and Nunwa Crowder get injured? Uh, we'll start with the Bell question. Uh, yeah, I think he plays a few series uh, this next game. I think, he, uh, you know, I, don't, I wonder how long the starters will play. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say maybe a half. But after Williamson tearing his ACL, I could definitely see it being a quarter. Specifically, just because how well the, the starters have played, they both sides of the ball have played pretty well in preseason, and I don't think you want to risk another big injury, especially maybe to a guy uh, at a position that doesn't have as much depth as an inside linebacker does. Um, but I think you'll see Bell. You know, I think I think Gase does want to get him in. You know, as Michael and I were talking about, get him some hits. But even just you know, yeah, 
going through warm-ups for real, being in the huddle, being at MetLife Stadium, being behind the line of scrimmage, just reading an, a live defense again, again, even if you're not giving him the ball that much, I mean, even if you only give him two or three runs and just let him get tackled, just giving him that, I think that is actually valuable for Le'Veon just because he hasn't played for a whole year. He's in a new system. He's on a new team. He's in a new place. Um, so I think you'll see him this this week, and then then they'll obviously hold him off uh, for week four and bring him back for, for the actual start of the season. As far as Montgomery starting wide receiver, I mean, yeah, he entered the league as a receiver. He was a receiver at Stanford, and I think that's part of the reason you might see the Jets you know, carry an extra running back as far as Trent Cannon or somebody. And that's, that's a, that's a question that's coming up later um, is because that Montgomery is flexible. I mean, he he's the closest thing that the jets have had to Brad Smith since Brad Smith, even though they're obviously different, but Montgomery can really move around all over the place. And and I'm super excited to see both him and bell on the field at the same time. I mean, just, he, he looks like he has an extra spring in his steps around preseason. You just saw his vision was really impressive. He's got, obviously, you know, from last year, he's got to work on ball carrying and he can't be fumbling that much for the jets this year. But, you know, I'm excited to watch him at running back by himself, you know, with, with Le'Veon on the field at the same time and then spread, splitting him out, uh, out wide. If he's starting at receiver though, that means the jets have, you know, seriously been bitten by the injury bug at receiver. That means at least two of those three guys you listed have to go down. That mean, that means that, you know, Crowder and, and you know, a new went down. Then maybe I think you're seeing more Montgomery out wide. Um, I think you're going to see him out wide regardless, but if he's starting there, uh, that definitely means that the jets are bitten badly by the injury bug. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, but I'm, you know, super excited for Ty Montgomery this year. And, and I, you know, that was a move that a lot of people didn't really talk about at the time, but you know, pretty much all off season from mini camp through training camp through these, even these preseason games that we've watched beat riders have talked about how impressive Ty Montgomery has been, in, you know, pretty much every practice. So I'm excited to watch him, uh, especially with, with Le'Veon Bell at the, on the field at the same time. Michael, what about you? Yeah, I, I think you pretty much hit on it with Bell. I think that, you know, it's good to just get him out there. I think it was is fine not to force him in there. You know, he's coming off the year off uh, to not force rush him in there. If they don't think he's ready yet, work him in slowly, but to get him out there once, you know, just to get him used to game action, take a couple hits, I think would be really good for him. And I think he will get that, uh, you know, however long the starters play against the giants, like you said, maybe it's affected by Williamson's injury. You know, maybe they react to something that big just happening. And especially because the starters have played well, it's not like they necessarily need to build that much more momentum because both, both sides of the ball on the first team have played so well so far. So, you know, maybe Williamson affects it. Maybe not. Maybe they go through with the regular routine, which has been uh, to play the starters the whole first half. But I think Bell will be with the first team as long as they play against the Giants. And that will be good for him. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt, but he does hopefully take a couple hits just to kind of, you know, just get back into shape playing against another team, uh, get used to that before the season starts. But with, with Montgomery, I think he really hit on it. it. When they first signed him, I wasn't, it, again, like it wasn't really something that I really looked into that much. And I don't think a lot of people did uh, because he, you know, he went to Baltimore, didn't have a huge role there after he moved on from Green Bay. But uh, it, it's been obvious throughout the offseason, he's going to have a huge role. And I think in preseason, he's really showed that it, he could make he could do a lot of damage. He's been out at wide receiver, you know, just playing legitimate wide receiver, lining up out wide on a few snaps. And I think he's gonna he brings a lot of versatility, like you said, uh, to have a guy out out in the back who can come out of the backfield and you know basically play wide receiver is really huge. Uh, that's something because you know Elijah McGuire and Trenton Cannon have pass catching upside, but neither of those guys can you know line up outside and be a threat like Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery can. So. That adds a whole new dimension, and and he's looked really good running the ball so far. He looks like he's developed a little bit in that phase. We saw this his run against the Falcons was the best run he's had in the two games so far, which he broke a couple of tackles, had a nice spin.
to keep going upfield, stayed on his feet. But just, just even the Giants game. In the Giants game, I think he only had, I think he had a three-yard carry and a four-yard carry. But uh, I said a big thing for me, that one of the biggest things with this offense last season was how often they got stuffed, you know, negative runs, zero-yard runs, one yard. And just for him to be able to get a couple of just forward runs, that's all you need, just three yards or more, is was really positive to see because if you're getting at least – Four yards is ideal, but hopefully at least three. Then that's staying ahead of the chains. That puts you on pace to just keep moving forward. And he got a couple of those. He's just he's just looked improved as a runner so far. It's been a really small sample size. Hopefully he keeps it up. But And ball security, like you said, it's going to be huge. But uh, in terms of the question, if he's playing wide receiver, then obviously the Jets are gonna, probably going to be in a pretty bad spot. But uh, he, he does have the capability to do that if they need him to. And even if he's not starting a wide receiver, he's going to be lining up out wide quite a bit and we and we've seen it already and it does I don't I don't think he's made a catch as lining up out wide yet but uh, in the Giants game I think there was in one of the plays uh, he lined up out wide and that kind of changed the way the defense the defense had to respect him being out there and it led to someone else making a catch uh, I believe that happened in one of those plays but he's going to be lining up out wide quite a bit if he is starting a wide receiver I I he definitely can do that but if if that does happen the Jets are probably not in a good spot yeah, I mean, you talk about just even him getting those three or four yards or whatever. It's, yeah, I mean, I think Sam Darnold, I mean, you obviously have the analytics on this, and I don't know if you remember it off the top of your head, but Sam Darnold was, like, facing the, the most second and longs or whatever than, than yeah, anybody else Yeah, he had the, the, the longest average, or the highest percentage of his pet, total pass attempts in the league were from either third or fourth and 10 plus. Yeah, and so that, you know, just having a guy, and it's Ty Montgomery, it's our backup. Uh, getting you know four yards, just setting him up in a second and six, that's doable. You, that opens up the playbook a lot more. But when you get stuffed at the line, now it's, okay, it's second 11. That puts Adam Gase and, and, and that's Darnold. a credit to the O-line, too. Well, the yeah. first-team O-line that played good in the, against the Giants. Yeah, the O-line has, has been you know surprisingly uh, impressive to me, and I, you know, I hope it continues into the regular season. But yeah, just the difference between a second and six and a second and ten is just so much, and it opens the playbook up a lot more because now you don't necessarily – you feel like you can go screen, you can go another run, you can pass, you can go you know, line pass, whatever. But if it's if it's second and ten, that playbook is really down to you know under ten players or whatever that you can run, um, and it's a you know makes it significantly harder um, to to convert uh, on third down. Just staying ahead of the chains, and, and yeah, you have him, you have Le'Veon Bell, who's obviously better, and, and you know is going to bring a whole another side of this offense. But you also remember that they also have Bilal Powell as that third down running back, so they can theoretically have both Le'Veon Bell. Well, they could they could have you know Ty Montgomery split out wide and have Le'Veon and Bilal in the backfield at the same time. You know, if one of them were to go down, they still have Bilal. They they just have a lot of flexibility. They can keep so, these guys so fresh. much mismatch potential, and that's what's key. So much mismatch potential as as the Jets have just been burned year after year from you know linebackers on on running backs or whatever. The Jets can finally do that to the other team. It also allows them to keep the running backs fresh. It's not one of those things where Le'Veon Bell is, is going to have a great you know, kind of like Chris Ivory used to do. You have a great first eight weeks of the season, and then the second eight weeks, he's just a completely different player. The fact that you can put in Bilal Powell, you can put in Ty Montgomery, and even if they keep a fourth guy, you can just keep the legs fresh for for Le'Veon and whatnot. And yeah, I mean, you look at the success that the Patriots have had by keeping a lot of running backs, kind of, you know, similar pass-catching, smaller, shiftier backs. That's what the Jets are doing here, and I would argue with, with even better players. So I'm really excited for it. I think the Ty Montgomery addition was just huge for the Jets, and even the Bilal Powell additions. Uh, moves that weren't really talked about too much, you know, you know, in comparison to Le'Veon Bell and T.J. Mosley and Kelechi Assembly or whatever, but moves that I think are going to really win the Jets some games this year. Yeah. Um, Can I add from, one more thing on Montgomery? Yeah, sure. I, I, so I talked about, like, how it has value to get, and, you know, that's something, like, you talk about a lot, like staying ahead of the chains, like how second and five is valuable against second and ten, but, you know, the numbers support that. So 
On second and 10 last year, the league average uh, for percentage of passing plays, so pass attempts plus sacks that were converted for a first down on second and 10 was 27%. Second and nine was 32%. Second and eight, 38%. Second and seven, 39%. All the way up to second and six, 45%. Second and five, 53%. So every single yard you're getting on that first down play is adding about 5% probability of getting a first down if you pass on the next play. So it has a lot of value just to not get stuffed. And, you know, a four-yard play, and that's a big thing for me with Bell, too. I, everyone looks at his highlights, and those are awesome. He, his highlight tapes are ridiculous. But it really what I'm most excited about is not having any more of those negative plays and just Bell allowing Darnold to throw from second and six instead of second and 11 uh, as much as he did last season. But it, it has a lot of value. And Montgomery, and Montgomery too, in Green Bay, he had a, a similar profile to Bell in which he – doesn't get stuffed that often, just like Bell didn't, uh, in which he was the least stuffed running back among guys who were starting uh, frequently over the past few years. But uh, just for those two guys in the running game, uh, to be able to stay ahead of the chains, Montgomery showed has showed signs of doing it in both games so far in the preseason. It, it has a lot of value, and I think it's going to help a lot. Yeah, it's certainly going to raise Sam Darnold's completion percentage uh, as well. Um, from at uh, McAnally John, uh, at CYJ Pod, was the release of, of Derek Jones strictly performance related, or do you think there were other issues? How much worse could he have been than what we have now? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those questions where, you know, obviously Michael and I don't have all the the, the information. It seems like Derek Jones was well liked in the, the locker room, so I guess one can only infer that it had to be, you know, either something they were seeing every day in practice, uh, or just something in the in the classroom that Greg Williams uh, did not feel like he was he was picking up the defense as well. He really got burned in that one route in the you know in the Giants game and he was cut the next day. Derek Jones is a guy that I was high on. You know I, I had the chance to interview him a few years ago, um, and it kind of seems like every time he hit the field last preseason or or even Week 17 last year he looked good. I mean I felt like he he was good and I I figured him to be a lock to make this team as as the fourth or fifth string you know corner. You know, not just because I liked him, but also because his depth was so bad. So, yeah, his release was a you know big shock uh, to me. I don't think he would be that much worse than what we have right now, if I'm being completely honest. But, again, I'm not with him every day. I don't know what he's like in the locker room. I don't know what he's like in the classroom. You know, from a strictly on-field, everything that I've seen, you know, perspective, I would say that he 100% deserves to be fighting right now uh, to make the roster. But as somebody who's only seen, you know, 20% of, of who he is as a player— uh, you know, I don't really think I'm I'm suited to to kind of make that call. Again, anytime it comes to preseason cuts or whatever, you know, obviously players will make your coaches will misevaluate and make you know make mistakes. But something like this, where you have such a big need at this position and you have all these guys fighting for it, there's something more to the story here. And I would probably guess it was something in the classroom. Uh, but again, we don't know. So, Michael, you, your uh, your thoughts on Derek Jones? Yeah, yeah, I think you really. Uh, I agree with what you said. I think. Uh, whenever someone gets cut in preseason like this, there, there's definitely a lot more that goes into it beyond what you see on the field. Because, you know, like you said, the Jets are really thin at quarter uh, at cornerback right now. They could use all the help there they can get. And Jones is a guy who, who, like you said, he played good against New England in that Week 17 game last year. In the preseason, he was really good last year. But that that's still a small sample size. He played against New England in a game where they blew out the Jets early on and really were kind of coasting through the rest of the game. And then preseason against backups. And I, I think he only played two preseason games last year. I think he missed at least one. But still, most of what the coaches see out of him, it, at least 95% of it, is on the practice field. And we're seeing pretty much none of that. So uh, I think definitely he probably struggled on the practice field. You know, like you said, film room is huge. That's something we don't get to see anything of. 
And, you know, definitely things, there are a lot of things that we're not seeing, you know, play on the practice field, uh, just overall performance in the film room, just in terms of understanding concepts and everything like that, that we don't get to see, but are huge factors in terms of whether or not these guys make the team and how much of an impact they can have. So, I, I think things like that probably play an impact. And like you said, it seems like he was a good locker room guy. A few a few guys wished him well on social media after he left or after his after he's cut by the team. So it seems like he's well liked. So I, I think that's what I'd go with. Probably and also he hasn't been able to get on the field. The Jets have been thin at cornerback the past few years too. They've had to go to guys like Richard Robinson who've come right in, gotten toasted and. Jones still hasn't been able to get on the field that much. So uh, I think practice mostly that would be it, just performance and practice. Yeah, uh, it's it's a little bit perplexing, but it's one of those things where I'll, I'll defer to the coaches and management. Uh, and as we said, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of Joe Douglas uh, corners on this roster. Just can, yeah, you know, and that's how- big too, especially since he's not a Joe Douglas guy. He's that, that That's something you see a lot, and we've seen it plenty already that New GMs are going to have bias towards their own guys and, you know, uh, an anti-bias against the guys who were there before them. And sometimes that's right. Sometimes it's wrong. And so far for Douglas, it looks like it looks like his, uh, you know, his ability to or his preference to go with his own guys has been uh, solid so far. You know, we'll see how it goes in the regular season. But that's definitely (laughs) something you see. and, and, And it's warranted. Uh, to just go with guys that they're more familiar with. So we'll yeah, see how it plays out. Especially yeah. the guys who are unproven. Um, anyways, at uh, underscore Donald to Bell. Um, how encouraged are you by the pace of the, fir- uh, by the first team offense has had, wait, how encouraged are you by the pace the first team offense has played at these first two games? There we go. Um, yeah, obviously this was a big thing that stood out to me in, in these first two games. You know, it seems like Adam Gase specifically did this with Sam Darnold. It definitely seemed like he was way more aggressive with Darnold. And it's one of those things where, look, he was very aggressive with Peyton Manning because he was confident in Peyton Manning's ability. He was comfortable with them. They had a good rapport and he was really comfortable And Peyton and him, you know, had a great system working when he went to Ryan Tannehill. It definitely seemed like he was left less comfortable with Ryan Tannehill. And you saw a lot of shorter passes, more conservative play calling. I'm trying not to turn it over or whatnot, but it seems like he's kind of returned back to he's really comfortable with Darnold. He's letting him air it out. And yeah, the hurry up is something that that I'm a big fan of. Look, I'm not a big fan of it. You know, sometimes you'll see it in college where they'll get a two yard run at the middle and they're calling hurry up because that's one of those things where if you get a three and out, your defense is heading back out. They're tired because they haven't gotten any time to rest. What Gase is doing it after is after big successful plays, which makes sense. It was one of the things that always kind of bothered me about Jeremy Bates is if the Jets got a 25 yard pass. I mean, we were just waiting till the play. We would go back to the huddle and, and call another play, whatever. I like getting to the line. You clearly had success against this personnel. The defense is now tired. They've just given up a big play, so their confidence is down. They don't have as, as much time to make subs. I mean, they can still do it, whatnot. Um, and so you just kind of have you just you put them on you put the defense on, on their heels. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. It also gives Darnold as much time as possible at the line of scrimmage to kind of look at things and and you know. Uh, decide what coverage it is and, and look at mismatch and cha- mismatches and change stuff when you're not getting to the line until, you know, 10 seconds or whatever, you don't have as much time to, to kind of go through, okay, this is cover three. Uh, you know, I need to bring this guy in motion, whatever. Uh, this gives Darnold a lot of time to, to look at the defense. So I, I hope this is something that continues on uh, into the regular season. Hurry up is one of those things where it cannot be abused because as I said, it's going to tire out your whole team if used incorrectly. But Adam Gage so far in the preseason has used it correctly. If you have a play that's, you know, 15, 20 yards, you should run, hurry up, get to the line, put the defense on their heels, you know, force them to make subs or whatever. You just had success against this personnel. And then maybe you run it up the middle and you don't run hurry up after that. But you're just, 
I don't know. I don't really have the analytics on it. And Michael, I've, I put you on the spot too too far to get them up. But I, I would wonder what the success is. Maybe this is something you'll tweet out. We'll talk about on uh, Tuesday's episode. Uh, is with Manish Mehta is is just the success that a play has. You know, I'm trying to think uh, the way to put it. I guess that the success percentage of the play after a big play, if you're running hurry up. I don't know if that made any sense. Did Did you understand what I said there? Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything on it right now. I could definitely try and find something, but in terms of them running, hurry up. I think we talked about it last week, or, or I brought it up that that the Dolphins last year were near the top of the league in terms of how often they ran hurry up. But I think I saw the stat somewhere. I forgot who tweeted out, but so far I think the Jets have run hurry up or, or no huddle on about. But did 40%. you say did you say the Dolphins were or weren't at the? Top? Yeah, they were. They were near the top of the league okay. and hurry up. But I, I think so far the Jets have done it on about 40% of the plays Darnold has been in, which is an insane number because when the Dolphins were near the top last year, they only ran it about, I think, like 12% of the time. So it's not something teams do a lot, which we obviously know. But uh, So at the rate they've done so far, probably isn't something they're going to do. It's not like they're going to be uh, – Adam Gase is going to be Chip Kelly out here. But uh, pace is definitely good. And I think what's more important than – running hurry up a lot is being able to mix up pace. And I think that's something the Patriots do really well. Sometimes they'll be methodical and they'll dominate the clock, but sometimes they just decide to pick up the pace and go right down the field on you. So I think you got to be able to do both. It really keeps the defense on its heels uh, reacting. Cause when you're playing defense, you're reacting. It's a reactive, the offense is more controlling the game. The defense is reacting. So when you could really mix up the pace and really kind of throw off their timing with, not being able to know if you're going to be going quickly, if you're going to be going slowly, I think that's really important. So to be able to see that yeah. so far the Jets have been able to move the ball well going quickly is a really promising thing. So obviously being able to run well when you're going out of the huddle too is important, but uh, to see them be able to go really well with their hurry up is good. And when you have a young quarterback who is as, you know, can make a lot of plays like Darnold can, it's not, it's nice to give, it's good to give him time to be able to get to the line and analyze things that could help him kind of progress his development as he tries to be, become better at reading things uh, because he obviously still has some progression to do every your, a young quarterback does in that area. But it's good to be able to mix it, mix it up and be able to do both and uh, yeah. see them do good with the hurry up so far is promising. I mean, that's a good point you brought up. I guess I should have uh, reworded it. It was more frustrating when Jeremy Bates was doing it because a lot of the times we were down in games and so we'd finally get a big yeah, play. I don't and think we, we would do it unless we were down last year. Yeah, but we there were times where we were down and we would get a big play and then we would we would wait, you know, huddle up and, and whatever and give the defense a lot of times to make subs or whatever. I think you're right. That's a really good point you just made. The verse you have to have the versatility. You know, I, everybody likes to talk about the Patriots, but as the Patriots do, as you know, being able to put your foot on the you know the throat of the defense and just kind of just drive right down the field, use hurry up, keep them on the back foot, wind out the defense right away. But you also have to be able to you know have a twelve play drive where you you know bleed you know half the quarter out. Um, it's important for the defense too to give your give your defense some rest. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I think Gase used it in the appropriate situations because it wasn't like he was using it after four yard runs or whatever. Because as I said, you don't want a really quick three and out. He was using it after big chunk plays. And I think part of the reason it's 40% is because, I mean, I think that's just part of the success that the Jets have had in preseason so far. A lot of their plays have been, you know, big chunk 20, 25 yard plays. And so then they're running a hurry up right after. And I think when you see that the, the defenses aren't as vanilla or whatnot, you're going to see more, you know, 10 yard passes, you know, eight yard passes, whatever. And then I think you'll see less hurry up. But I am pretty much with the philosophy, unless you're in the lead or whatever, that if you have a big play, a 20, 25 yard 
you know, pass play, you should get to the line as fast as you can and run another play. I'm not saying you just stick and hurry up, but run another play. Maybe it's a draw right up the middle and you get three or four yards. And now you're in a second and six. You can bleed the clock a little bit. I just, I think it's a good way to just keep, you stay ahead of the chains or whatnot. And I think Gase used it correctly. I think that number is just skewed because it's preseason and the Jets startups have had a fairly successful preseason uh, so far. But overall, as far as my thoughts on Adam Gase's offense and, and the preseason, look, it's just preseason. It's just vanilla offense and defense. But it looks a lot more like the Adam Gase we saw in Denver. And again, that such an overreaction statement. It's not something that, that we'll really know until after this whole season is done. But I'm just really, you know, as I talked about it, it's one of those times where I think this is, is a scenario where you could have a perfect marriage between Gase and Darnold. And it's one of those things where they are just the perfect match. Even just, you know, Robbie Anderson's route tree uh, is, is, uh, has spread out, you know, uh, considerably. He ran the, the, obviously the back shoulder and a quick slant, you know, a Quincy Nunez is going downfield more as a receiver. It's just, I'm a lot more excited about this offense, obviously than I was last season. And I'm really excited to see what Adam Gase can do. Um, in the regular season when he's mixing things up. And I know we talked about this a little bit, and this is a little bit off, off topic, but I just wrote it down under here just because I, I wanted to talk about it was, and you've, you've talked about it ad nauseum, is, is Chris Herndon as a blocker is just severely underrated. I don't know if you have yeah. any numbers on it, but what do you, I mean, just he is, uh, as I think you put it uh, before the show, he's a better blocker than our blocking tight ends. Uh, on yeah, yeah. I, I actually did track last season. I can pull it up here. It will probably take me a few seconds. But, yeah, as a blocker, he's he's impressive. And this is what really is what gives him the ability to potentially be a stud tight end, like not just a good one but a great one. And, you know, we'll see if he can get there. But he does have the ability to do that because what he can do as a blocker. And I think he, he really improved down the stretch of last season, I think, especially in the run game, I think, early on. He was kind of, I think he's a little bit of a liability in the run game early on, but then especially post bye week, he started to look really good. But pass protection, he was really solid all of last season and even definitely better than Eric Tomlinson. And even right now, I think he's probably better than the other guys who who would take on the blocking roles. You know, Wesco hasn't looked too good so far. I, Ryan Griffin, I don't think is good as that good as a blocker. He's mostly a, a short pass catching guy. Uh, Eric Tomlinson is, I, I think he's decent. I mean, I know he gets a lot of criticism, but... He, he's decent in that role, but Herndon, I think, can be a legitimately good blocker. And for a guy who's also as athletic as he is, as talented of a pass catcher, that's what gives him the upside to be a really good tight end. And and another thing is that a lot of these guys who catch a lot of passes, have a lot of fantasy production, a lot of them really aren't that good of a blocker. But the ones who can really separate themselves, like Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, those guys are able to you know be on the field as much as they are because they are so good. As blockers and Herndon can do that as, as long as he, you know, avoids suspension, stays healthy and continues to develop off of the great rookie season he had. He, he does have the potential to be that kind of tight end because of what he can do as a blocker. So so last season yeah. I did. I have Herndon for I had him pass protecting on 43 snaps. I had him giving up two pressures plus one hit and zero sacks. And to compare that to Tomlinson, I had him giving up one sack, two hits and one pressure on five fewer protection snaps. So. So Herndon did wow. a pretty good job last season. Yeah, and that uh, was him as a rookie. Protection. So yeah, and yeah. as a rookie too, and uh, especially blocking is a huge adjustment. You're playing against literally going head to head with guys, making contact with guys that are just a different level of physicality that you're used to going up with, uh, going up against. So uh, as a blocker, it, it's a really underrated part of his game, and it, it's something that I think they'll miss the first few weeks. In addition to his receiving, but uh, it gives him yeah. the upside to be elite. 
potential. Yeah, I'm interested to see. Uh, I think Daniel Brown will probably stick on the roster those first four games. He seems like he was kind of an Adam Gay signing. I think he's going to be the blocking tight end for the first four weeks. Um, but yeah, it's something they're going to miss. But it's just it kind of just falls into the category of this question. You know, obviously talk, they were talking about pace of play, but just talking about this Adam Gase offense and what we've seen so far, just when you factor in, you know, the Bell, Montgomery, Powell backfield, the fact that Chris Herndon is so versatile as a blocker and his receiving threat and the chemistry that he has with Darnold. And if the receiving court can stay healthy, you know, Anunwa going downfield is significantly more dangerous than he was last year. He's such a, a threat after the catch, but, you know, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for, for his physicality. And you even saw that that first pass that he caught from from Sam Darnold to open it up. That was not an easy catch. I mean, that was he moved across the field. He got his hands in there. Um, you know, obviously, Robbie Anderson is just such a threat deep. But uh, and James Crowder it seems like he's going to be a huge uh, part of this offense and will probably lead the Jets in receptions. Just there's a lot of weapons here. And the offensive line so far has looked good that I, I'll stand by it. I really think this is a top 10 unit uh, and I'm excited. But yeah. The Jets are certainly going to miss Herndon for those first four games. But anyways, from at positive Jets guy, hashtag ask CYJ, why do I get the feeling Leonard Williams is sitting out because they're preparing to trade him? Uh, I'll start with this one. Look, I, I, that's not why he's sitting out. He's sitting out because he's has a, he has an injury and it's preseason, so it's not really worth it to, to try to get him back out there. I don't even think he'll play week three. Uh, I think they'll just save him for, for week one at Buffalo. It's, it's like, what is Leonard Williams really going to get out of this preseason? Maybe he plays a little bit, you know, this week, but... Uh, but I doubt it. Um, look, I, I guess I'll change this question a little bit for you, Michael. Uh, what I guess, how likely do you think it would be that the Jets could trade a guy like Leonard Williams? And I guess we could throw into this question. We haven't talked about him at all, really. But the guy that was kind of really impressive last night uh, was Quinn and Williams. Um, so maybe not this season. I'm trying. I'm trying to think the best. Okay, you know what? Let's let's scrap this whole question. We're gonna change it for you for you at Positive Jets guy. Leonard Williams is obviously in a contract year this year, and they, they drafted Leonard Williams or they they drafted Quinn and Williams. Excuse me. They have they gave Henry Anderson a contract or whatnot. You know, look, Adam Gase is saying the praises and Greg Williams is saying the praises of Leonard Williams. And he's a guy that has had success despite what what a lot of Jets Twitter has said about him for not being able to get sacks or whatever. Do you think it's likely that the Jets and Joe Douglas could move on from Leonard Williams? You know, after this year, or next year, or even trade him for a guy like Trent Williams or a corner, um, you know, considering their confidence uh, and Quinn and Williams? Well, I think him getting traded isn't really, because I think a lot of people kind of imagine, and like you just said, Trent Williams, like I think a lot of people picture him in like a player for player deal. And though those don't really happen that much in the NFL, it's really rare to see those. So I, I don't think there's really a player for player because the, no, like Jets fans want to get a player right now. They want to get a corner. They want to get an edge rusher. We're not really thinking about, you know, picking up draft picks at all. So I think that, you know, he could be traded for a draft pick maybe, like maybe at least a third or a second. But a player-for-player player trade, I don't really see happening. And especially because Leonard Williams isn't, I don't, even though he's a good player, I don't think he's that attractive of a guy to trade for right now just because he's in a contract year. So you don't know if you're going to be able to keep him next year or if you are going to keep him, how expensive he's going to be. And so you don't want to trade for him and then lose him. And also he's an interior defensive lineman who doesn't necessarily, and even though he's a good player, I think teams do value that splash production. You look at, you know, guys, a lot of guys in the league who have not, who have been good players, but not really been given that respect in terms of contract value, trade value until they put up big numbers that get them to pro bowls and stuff like that. And Leonard Williams hasn't really, hasn't been that the past couple of years, even though he's very good, he's a very good player. He hasn't really been that kind of splash guy. So I don't think his trade value is too high right now. And I also don't think that there's a player-for-player player deal out there that really makes sense. 
with him just because I don't think there's another team that would really be into that. But uh, I, I don't think it's likely. But after the season, it's going to get interesting because this is – and I've been talking about splash production, but this is a system where he could put up those kind of numbers, playing under Greg Williams. Now next to Quinn and Williams, another guy who is probably one, probably the most talented or easily the most talented guy he's played next to uh, since he's playing with prime Muhammad Wilkerson back in 2015 and Sheldon Richardson too. So he could have – Leonard Williams could have the opportunity to put up – some more sack numbers, more tackles, whatever. Uh, and that could definitely help him come contract time. So it's going to be interesting because there's two different ways you can look at it. You could see, you could say that Quinn and Williams and Leonard Williams are a really good duo that you want to invest in and build your defense around. Or you could say that Quinn and Williams makes Leonard Williams expendable. But it's going to be interesting to see. And, and you know, I, I do kind of lean towards the fact that defensive line in the NFL is super deep. Most teams have – uh, a solid amount of talent there. Obviously, there's a spectrum from best to worst, but uh, it, it feels like that on the offensive line, you have maybe maybe about a quarter of the league is good there. And then on the defensive line, you're looking about three quarters of the league that feel like they're pretty good there. So it does feel like defensive line is easier to replace. So it, well, we're going to have to see how he plays this year, if he's legitimately or how good of a fit he is in this defense, how dominant he could be not just good because he's probably going to get paid a very good sum next year. Uh, we saw what Tremaine Johnson got uh, from the Jets after he was just pretty good with the Rams, not necessarily elite, but good. So if Leonard Williams has a really good year, he's going to get paid. So it, we'll have to evaluate after the season, see how he fits in this defense, if he can elevate from very good to, you know, just top five dominant level. We'll have to see if he can take that leap. But uh, it'll be interesting to see, and in ter- but in terms of a trade, I, I don't really see it happening, especially midseason. The Jets are, you know, hoping to compete this year. They're not really a rebuilding team, so unless say the season goes completely down the drain, I don't see a midseason trade happening. And as of right now, I don't really see a, again because the Jets are, you know, looking to compete, not necessarily just trade Leonard Williams because it's a contract year for picks. So I don't, I don't see any trade now or midseason. I would be surprised, but. Yeah. After the season, in terms of the contract negotiations, uh, the contract negotiations, that's where it's going to get interesting. Yeah, I mean, Adam Gase is, is saying his praises, but if it's one of those things where he has a kind of a similar year to that he had that he had last year, I could totally see Joe Douglas moving him for for a second or a third and just recouping another draft pick for a guy that that wasn't his pick. Um, but considering how much Williams and Gase have praised him, I, I think, and I think Williams is going to be a fit in, in Greg Williams. Uh, defensive scheme. So I think he's going to have a big year and I think he'll get paid uh, for it. Uh, from at Daily Jets Talk, uh, what roster bubble players made a positive step in making the 53 man roster? Um, this was probably after the. Uh, so I guess we could say for, for the first two weeks of preseason, we've seen a lot of guys uh, that, that we didn't necessarily think were going to make the roster that, that have definitely uh, made the case. So, Michael, I, I've started with a lot of these. So I'll give you first dibs on this one. Uh, what are some players that, that you didn't really think? Uh, we're going to make the roster, or at least we're just on the bubble, that you kind of think have have almost or have, have completely solidified their, their position on the 53. Yeah, well, the one guy I brought up before was Alex Brown. I think he definitely made uh, took, a, took, took some positive steps forward against the Falcons. Joe Douglas guy, I thought he's the best corner on the field for them last night. Uh, so I think that he definitely took some steps forward. You already have – that's a big advantage because Joe Douglas comes in – mid-season with the roster or, or mid-off season uh, with the roster already made up so he he's only got a small collection of guys on the team right now he's only going to go into the season with a small portion of the team uh, made up of guys that he actually brought in so to be one of those guys is definitely an advantage in, in the roster battle because there aren't that many of them 
on the team. So for Brown definitely has that leg up already. And I think he played well enough uh, in, in a room of players that has not stood out at all so far. I think Brown definitely gave himself a little bit of a chance last night. Some of the plays he made. So, and I'll definitely be looking out to see if he can keep that up in the next few games, but because I, I don't think he played against the giants that much, but against the Falcons, I thought he played pretty good, but so I would, I would go with him on defense. And I also think uh, Kafusi, Bronson Kafusi. I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. He's number 91, though. But he played pretty good. He had a sack. He uh, created a lot of pressure. Uh, Foley Fadakasi played good for the second straight game. He wasn't as dominant in this game as he was in the first game. I think he also had an offsides penalty. But he still made some big plays. But uh, those two guys were also pretty good. Uh, on the offensive side, um, I think... I'm not really sure about the offensive side. There was really any oh, Deontay Burnett. He, he definitely made some plays. Uh, he didn't have big numbers. He, he only made the two catches, but they were two, uh, two of the most impressive plays that any of the reserve wide receivers have made so far, because uh, I think the reserve guys haven't really been at wide receiver. Haven't been too good so far, but Burnett did have those two plays in the four, I believe it was the fourth quarter in which uh, he had a couple of really good routes and catches. One of those, was a touchdown from Luke Falk. And uh, those were two of the most, probably the two most impressive plays from any of the reserve receivers so far. So it was good to see that flash from him. I think that gave him a little bit of a cushion right now as he hopes to make the team. I think he has a good chance anyway, but uh, nothing's nothing certain, especially when you're not a locked in starter. But I think and, Burnett and, and you're not a little bit. And you're not impacts on special teams. So that's one of the things oh, with, yeah. with Burnett yeah. that he's not a player on special teams. Or I mean, I, clearly hasn't just impressed there. So he has to make these plays in preseason if he wants to stick. Um, yeah, I'll give you three uh, more that you didn't say because I definitely agree uh, on, on especially Fadu Kasi, who had a tremendous first game. Then this game, he was going against starters or whatnot, but he still looked good. Uh, and and Kalfusi uh, looked pretty tremendous. And I think he's going to be in that that four three defensive end. Uh, I think that's that's a position that he's going to be playing a lot of this year, especially with Williamson going out. I think that even solidifies it further that that this guy's making the team. I'll give you three. I'll start on the offensive side of the ball, and this one's a little less so than the other two. Uh, but Trenton Cannon, look, I, I don't think that he's a good running back in this league. I think he has a skill set. The Jets necessarily weren't really calling plays to it um, in this preseason game. He's not an in-between-the-tackles runner. He's a guy that has tremendous speed, so he's a guy that you're going to have to get out, um, out wide or whatnot. Uh I think he makes this team for, for special teams, and that's pretty much it. Uh, but I'll say for two reasons. The first one is special teams. I think he's a tremendous gunner, and I think he's going to handle those kick-returning duties. He's, he is the first-string kick-returner, and I think that just kind of points single uh, signals to him. Sorry, I'm getting a call. Signals to him uh, that, that he's going to, to stick on this team. I, th- I think if if his roster spot was more in jeopardy, I think you'd see the Jets trying more guys out at kick-returner, but it seems pretty solidified that he is that kick-returner. Uh, and, and he did a good job. He had a nice return to open up the game. But I think the other reason and probably the bigger reason is the versatility of Ty Montgomery. I think the fact that Ty Montgomery is a running back receiver allows the Jets to carry another running back, especially when this guy is purely special team for the most part. He's going to be your kick returner and he's going to be a gunner. Um, and I think and then, I, you know, emergency situations, he plays offense but between Bell, Powell, Montgomery. He really shouldn't have to unless somebody goes down. So I think he made a case just by having that positive return and just making a few tackles uh, as, as a gunner that definitely solidified uh, his spot. Uh, the next the next guy would be James Burgess. And that's, again, two reasons. Avery Williamson's injury and that pick six that he had. He, he's had two solid games. He's played in Greg Williams, system. But the fact that the Jets lost Avery Williamson means that they're going to have to carry another middle linebacker. And I think that guy's going to be James Burgess. So I think your linebacker room, you know, is going to be Mosley, Cashman, 
uh, Neville Hewitt uh, and, and James Burgess. So I think he's pretty much solidified his spot in the 53 unless a guy like Anthony Wint or somebody else can kind of sneak up on him and take that job. Uh, and then lastly, Frankie Louvu is a guy that not many people are talking about, but he's been pretty impressive in every game that I've seen him in in this preseason. I mean, he obviously played a lot uh, last year, but I think, you know, he's significantly farther along than the Ja'Kai Polite is uh, and his process. You know, you talked about Polite being a little bit disappointed. Look, he's rarely, he's really raw. Polite is going to need another year. I mean, I think maybe the second half of the season you'll see him put up, you know, three and a half, four sacks or whatever, but he's not a guy that that I think is going to make that much of an impact uh, this season or specifically early on. So that's where you're going to have to see guys like Brandon Copeland uh, and Frankie Louvu stepping up. I think Louvu has pretty much solidified his spot. He's been pretty, he's been flying around the ball uh, and, and I'm excited to watch him. So those three guys, and then obviously the other three that you said uh, would be uh, the, the six guys that I think have really moved from the bubble spot uh, to making the 53, but you'll see a lot more in games three and four. Uh, when those cuts come, I think, you know, there's still time specifically in that corner room for somebody to really step up. Uh, outside of Alex Brown. I would add one more to this this group, and I think he's a guy, he doesn't have a name. He's first or last. We don't know where he is, who he is, but uh, some kicker out there just made a move towards the Jets' 53-man roster. I would add him as well. Yeah, just because Taylor Bertolette <laughs> kind of crapped the bed. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely They're definitely going to make a move. If The fact that they haven't signed Matt Bryant kind of signals to me that they're going to just wait for somebody to get cut. So I think the most likely guys are... are somebody who's on a roster. So you would have to guess it's Dan Bailey, but maybe another young guy or whatnot. And there's still Cody Parkey and Matt Brown are still available. All right. Last question for the mailbag this week, and then we'll wrap it up at T underscore slim 67. I know it's really early in the process, but what do you think of Chuma Adoga's prospects of being our future slash long-term solution to left tackle or right tackle? Michael, I'll start with you. Yeah. So his giants game is really impressive. And, and we talked about that on the show last time, but uh, he was really promising that Giants game, especially in pass protection. And he did get the start against the Falcons in this game at right yeah, right tackle uh, with Brandon Shell's injury. And, and there were also reports, I think, uh, I forget who said it, but I think I saw that uh, one of the reporters said that, or it might have been multiple, but I know I saw that uh, they said that the, the Jets were hoping that he could potentially push Brandon Shell uh, for that starting spot at right tackle. And the injury definitely gave Adoga the chance to do that. And, and we still don't have word on Shell's injury yet, how long he's going to be out. So uh, he could be forced into that starting right tackle spot. But uh, the Falcons game, I don't think he was as good against the Giants. You know, like you mentioned earlier, uh, I think he got beat uh, for a pressure and a sack by Vic Beasley early on, but uh, wasn't as clean as the Giants game. But I think just, and he got picked in the third round, which is still the top half of the draft, still top 100 overall. And he had some really impressive traits coming out. He, he's a young guy has experience with Sam Darnold. I think you look at what he did in the first game, his hands are really good. Uh, just has some overall strength stuff to work on, just rounding his body out for the league. But I think I think we've seen some good flashes from him so far. Falcons game wasn't as promising as the Giants game was. Definitely had some issues there. Uh, run blocking has to get better. But uh, overall, he does, he does seem like a guy who legitimately does have the promise to you know, be a starting player in the league. We'll see how good he can be, but... Uh, in terms, I, I think he's already a guy who I, I'd be okay with as a backup. We've seen the Jets have some, you know, really bad reserve play or, or some really bad play from their backup offensive lineman. He already, Idoga already seems like a, you know, a, a decent backup offensive lineman, a guy who, if he does start at right tackle in week one, I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with, surprisingly okay with, based on how he's played so far. And, you know, the regular season could come, and as a rookie, he could get completely dominated because things are different from the preseason when you're up. Uh, because obviously he's playing against reserves a lot. 
he's he's rotate. Well, this is actually against his case, but or, or for his case, but he's been switching between left tackle and right tackle in game, which is difficult. But uh, but regular season is completely different. So who knows? He could start and really struggle. But uh, from what he's shown so far, I think he's already a decent backup. We'll see how good he can be. But I, I do feel pretty confident that he could be a starter for this team. And I think they do have that in the plans. I think uh, you'll you should see. I think Beecham's contract is up after this year, or they can yeah. cut him. But yeah. Uh, so Beecham could be gone next year. I think Shell's contract is up as well. And it seems like the team is hoping to improve on him anyway. So I, I think they definitely have him starting in the plans in the future. And based on what he showed so far, I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with him starting. Uh, yeah. it, it could go terribly, but I think he has shown a pretty some pretty good signs so far. Yeah, I don't think it helps him that, that he's not a Joe Douglas pick, and, you know, obviously. But he at least was there when Adam Gase... Uh, was the head coach, so I think that helps him. And Sam Darnold has said that that he, this is the guy, or I guess he, he hasn't said, I guess, publicly, but from reports that this is the guy that Sam Darnold wants uh, to be his his future left tackle. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, this year you're going to see him as that swing tackle. I think he will push Brandon Shell for right tackle. I think he will start some games. That's just the reality of, uh, you know, of the offensive yeah, line. But I think he's definitely going to start just based on, you know, Shell's probably going to miss some games, but uh, yeah. Shell will probably be the week one starter. But we'll see Adoga in the regular season definitely start at least one game. Yeah, and I think that but that leap he takes from the first year to the second year, I think, is where you're going to see him be that starting left tackle. I think he is the Jets' plan for, for le- starting left tackle in 2020, unless he really craps the bed this year. I think I think when he just, you know, can, can take a breath, you know, after his rookie season— uh, I think that's where you're going to see him, probably in a competition with the left tackle, but I think he'll win that. So I do think Edoga is the the future at left tackle for the Jets. Maybe right tackle, but I think this year is, is where you'll see a lot of right tackle, maybe some left tackle, but 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 next year is where he's where he's going to get a shot. I mean, he's already looked solid in pass protection. He's struggled in run you know run protection, and obviously he got beat by Vic Beasley a few times in this game. But look, it's his second his second game. He's still really young, um, so I'm excited for him. And you know that was a pick that I actually did like. Um, so we'll see how it works out. Um, that'll do it for the mailbag. Again, thank you for for submit for the people that submitted theirs, and and sorry for the ones that we didn't get to. Um, but again, we'll we'll try to do this every week. Just use the hashtag AskCYJ and and tweet us questions, and if it's if it works, uh, we'll we'll definitely throw it in there. Um, so before we close, Michael, I guess I'll, I'll turn it to to your thing. Is as you like to we want to close on kind of a fun note. You know, just preparing ourselves for eventual disappointment during the season, so we have to have kind of a, a shtick to get out of here that's positive. So, just kind of a fun question. This is the one that I that I came up with, but I, I will say it was it was spurned by uh, Scott Mason from the Play Like a Jet podcast. Uh, he had somebody from from my hometown, Portland, Oregon, uh, and he came on and, and compared the Jets to the the Portland Trailblazers this season. Uh, you know, I didn't, I haven't listened to the the episode yet. I actually don't even know if it's out yet, but he, but he's tweeted about it how that guy's theory was kind of that the Jets didn't do enough to win a championship and the Blazers have, I don't, I don't really understand it completely. I disagree with it, but I can break it down more. So the question is, is what NBA team do you think the 2019 jets compare to the most? Uh, Michael, uh, I guess I'll, I'll give you this one. Uh, yeah, I'll start start. If, if so, you take mine though, yeah. Michael, j- I'm not going to take yours. It, it is a good okay. one. I won't take it. I'm not going to mention that one, but okay. the first thing that came to mind for me was if we're talking about current teams, I think the Pelicans are the first team that came to mind for me just because, you know, they did just draft Zion. He's kind of like uh, their Sam Darnold. So I, I, that's a kind of a key thing I'm thinking of here. We have it's all about Darnold with this team. They have a young centerpiece who is hopefully a superstar for years to come. So I think that is a really important thing to look for at this teams, but or with the team that we're looking for uh, comparing to the Jets. But the Pelicans came to mind first, but then I kind of figured that they're more like 
where the Jets were last year. They have their young guy. They have some vets, but they're more in they're more in year one of that phase under the new superstar because obviously Zion is a rookie. But uh, I think they're more like the 2018 Jets. But then I thought of another team, and I think it, this team's actually kind of further along than the Jets are. But I think the Bucks are a good comparison. You have Giannis there in the center in that Sam Darnold role, but then they got a lot of other guys who they traded for, spent some money on, who are kind of you know supporting him. As that supporting cast, you have guys like George Hill, who they spent money on, Brooke Lopez, who they traded for. Brooke Lopez is kind of like our clutchy Osemley, like a big kind of – actually kind of different. Osemley's more of a mauler. Lopez is more of a skill guy. But still, a guy they traded for who was kind of – the league was down on a little bit, but then came in in a new role and played pretty well. So I think the Bucks have a good combination of that young centerpiece guy. And also another – a couple of other reasons, actually. They're both green. That's key. And Giannis also is uh, Giannis is that quiet superstar. He's well, he's aggressive on the court, but he's that he's not really a loudmouth kind of guy, which I think is similar to Darnold. Mm-hmm. So I I think the Bucks are a good one. Yeah, and, and so I don't believe this episode is actually out on the play like a Jeff feed, so I won't spoil the whole thing. But but his, the theory about the Blazers was essentially to to dumb it down, but you still should still listen to it. Is uh, was that the Jets don't have enough to, to compete with the top-level talent and neither do the Blazers, but they're still good teams. Um, yeah, and I disagree with that for a plethora of reasons. One, that the Jets haven't been in the playoffs for, for eight years and the Blazers are coming off a Western Conference Finals appearance. Uh, I yeah, there's, there's a litany of reasons. But anyways, I think the team that the Jets probably most match up with, um, or I should say match up with the best, uh, the Dallas Mavericks. I think you have that young centerpiece, as you've talked about, but that young, super promising, you know, still kind of an unknown, but all signs tor- point uh, towards this guy being a- incredible. Uh, and I think that's Luka Doncic and Sam Darnold. Now, you have to remember, in football, there's, you know, what, 24 starters, if you count uh, kicker, and we'll just say 22 starters. Um, and in basketball, there's only five. So I think Luka Doncic can, can represent both Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams. That's your young centerpiece. That's the guy that you drafted that, that has all the fans hopeful. They're all wearing his Jersey, but then you've brought in the big time. I mean, he, he was a trade, but we'll just say he's a free agent, the big time free agent, the big veteran that, that, that duo you think is going to take you to the next level. And that Christoph Brzingis, Le'Veon Bell comparison, I think it, and I guess you could throw in Le'Veon Bell, CJ Mosley. I think this is a team that matches up the best, you know, with, the promising, you know, homegrown player that you still don't know necessarily how good he's going to be, but you know he's going to be good. And then that veteran presence. They're still not quite there ready to to win a championship yet, but you talk about 2021, 2022, 2023. That's when I think you'll see the Dallas Mavericks and the New York Jets, you know, win some championships. So I said that, that would be the team that the Jets uh, line up uh, with the most. Yeah, I um, think that's a pretty good one. Yeah, that, that's yeah, definitely I mean, a good one because I think— They're not green. That, they're not green, but they do have a green alternate yeah. jersey, so— that's true. They do. And I, I don't like them, but they do They're have terrible. a green alternate jersey. They're do not. They, wait, do they still even? Or is it old jersey? Hold on. They do wear them sometimes, but green isn't an official part of their scheme anymore. But I, I think the Mavericks are good because I chose the Bucks, but the Bucks are already a championship contending team, which we, in terms of where the Jets are now, we're kind of expecting that to be, you know, 2020 or beyond there. But uh, the Mavericks are a team who. Kind of last last year they had Doncic's rookie or however you say that plural or whatever. But last year was Doncic rookie year, and now they add Porzingis. So this is kind of it's, well, it is his second year, and so this is the year where they're kind of expecting to you know hopefully compete for the playoffs. Probably not a championship, but at least take a step forward. So yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty good one. And and also with the Trailblazers thing, I think a big difference is 
the Trailblazers are a really good team. They should make the playoffs this year and for the next few years. They have Lillard, Lillard and McCollum there for a while. Uh, one of the better duos in the league. But the thing with the Blazers is I think like Watch they've kind of locked Watch themselves it. in. I'm, I'm going to say it. They've kind of locked themselves in because, you know, they got to the conference finals last year. But now they have those two guys. And, you know, th- they weren't really close. with. I mean, they were close in those games, but they were oh never my. really, you know, they, they still got swept. You're, and, okay, and now we're the breaking West this podcast be, up. We're breaking the West this is going to be a lot deeper this year. No, okay. Clippers, Lakers, so many teams in the mix. The Blazers, they're locked into First a corner. Of all, they they got round. swept. They got swept, but three of those games were you know right down to the last minute. They were without their you know starting center, who was pretty amazing this past year, and and, and Nurkic. And also, you sure. have to remember that Lillard and McCollum hadn't ever really played a whole season that long, so Lillard was just completely fatigued by the time they hit that series. I mean, he was just not the same player that he was against the Thunder because he just hadn't had a se- you know a season go that long. Uh, and and you have to remember that they've added Zach Collins and keep an eye out for Anthony Simons this year. So they have done some stuff considering the the horrible cap situation they've been in the in the past year, a few years. But no, I mean between Lillard and McCollum, I think this is a team that that goes to the divisional round, divisional round. Uh, what, Jesus, why am I having a complete space? What is the <laughs> what semifinals? Hold on. Semifinals. Conference there we go. Semifinals. There we go. Thank you, thank you, Michael. Between that and I've messed up all playoffs. You got to get your playoff round. I don't know. Well, together. okay. The the, the Eagles game. Podcast. I was on a flight, so I didn't even see that game, and I don't I don't know what was happening. And then this take flight. Hashtag take flight. Yeah, I guess so. That was, was random. Pretty, pretty spacey today. You just inspired me. But get your playoff names together. Do you remember what the well, baseball fair, championship fair, the was The last called? time the Jets were in the playoffs, I was, you know, 10 years old. So, you know, it's not like well, my... Well, they didn't change the name since then. <laughs> At least I don't think they did. Do you remember what the baseball championship is called? Uh, the finals? It's a joke. That ah, was a there joke. There you go. Now you're on You're all night. Uh, there we go. Uh, World <laughs> Series. All right. Um, anyways, we are dropping an episode on Tuesday of the CYJ of the CYJ, oh God, so douchey, uh, of Cool Your Jets uh, with Manish Mehta, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a great interview, um, you know, uh, one of the best around. I know some some Jets fans have some bias towards him, but I, I really like Manish Mehta. I'm telling you, just listen to the podcast. Super insightful guy to talk to. So I'm really excited about that. So I guess we'll ask um, for some questions for Manish Mehta uh, that you guys can submit. So just use the hashtag AskCYJ. I'll put a tweet out there for this, but you can tweet at us, ask hat ask cyj and for this week's episode which we're recording on monday so try to get them in over the weekend we can ask manish some of those so i'm really excited about that podcast um i believe i I don't think we actually have the schedule for beyond that michael are we back to because this the saints game is on what day again Uh, do you have it saturday saturday the saturday game so i guess is our podcast coming up next sunday then or should we are waiting till monday uh Doing it live. We have to see. We have scheduling to do. We have long we have scheduling, scheduling to, do. to do. Okay, I guess we're not going to do it live. But um, yes, yeah, so we're going to have an this episode. This is behind closed doors stuff. Yeah, okay, sorry. It's too confidential. So we'll have uh, this episode is obviously kind of the post game for the Falcons. But on Tuesday, we'll be previewing the Saints game as well as just talking training camp as a whole with Manish Mehta. So that episode will be, you know, good for, for at least a whole week, uh, maybe maybe you know, hopefully longer uh, to listen to to get his thoughts on the, on the season. So I'm really excited about that. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then yeah, either Sunday or Monday, we'll have an episode talking about the Saints game, you know, previewing the next game, mostly about roster cuts and whatever is that what that episode will be about. And then as soon as we get into the regular season, a lot of these episodes will be coming out on Monday because the games will be on Sundays. Week two, obviously, it'll come out on Tuesday since the game's Monday night. You get the gist. Um, but anyways, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Michael, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, 
I, I think I would say that I don't apologize for saying the Blazers have backed themselves into a corner and are going to be a first or second round exit for the next for eternity. There, there, there you go. I said it. But uh, no, I'm just excited to uh, hopefully not see the starters play that long and get injured against the Saints. And uh, are you a Hornets of... fan? Or, no, you're a Knicks fan. Oh, you're a, a Knicks, Knicks fan, fan talking shit. I should. You can say whatever you want about lightly the Knicks. here. I honestly don't care. I should try. I don't care. I'm going to watch the Knicks and just enjoy it. It's yeah, all funny okay. and hilarious I'll to me. lightly because I know most of our, our listeners are probably Knicks-Nets fans. Um, but, yeah, but, you know. but anyway, I, I just want to simulate the next two games, Madden style. Let's get on to Buffalo. Yeah. As, as uh, I think I forget who put it on. Oh, I actually oh and turn off injuries when we do that. Yeah, let's just hope no injury. It's just preseason. It's just such a... A tease. It's just, it's just, you just want to have Darnold out there all four quarters and have an actual game that counts. But then you get in your head about, well, why would I risk somebody getting injured for something that, does, that doesn't even matter? Um, so yeah, let's just get through these next three weeks, I guess, because there's there's a bye week, I guess, in between there. Let's get to week one at Buffalo. Let's see him in the all green. Uh, and let's watch Sam Darnold. Oh, wait, Darnold. one more thing. The green uniforms. I have to see how those look because I they the shade is like the jerseys that they sell in the green are like a dark green, but. Some, sometimes they're like lighter green, and some of the pictures kind of looks in between that. So I'm in, I'm interested to see how those look. Yeah, uh, so I, well, I want to see him at a, at a one o'clock game. That's the game that I'm waiting for at Buffalo to see him all. I think because if they look anything like they've looked in those practice videos, I'm super excited. I think that 4:30 green those, is going to be the a practice different. colors and those videos the Jets tweet out are so so good. That's how you want it to look. Yeah, that's well, that's why I think I think they will look like that in one o'clock games. I think this Saturday, I think they're going to look a little different because they'll be darker or whatever, because it'll be, you know, some will be setting or whatnot. But anyways, who cares about this? Uh, As I said, you could follow this podcast on Twitter at CYJ pod. We're a few followers away from, I believe, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it's thirty two hundred. Am I right? Yeah, we're three one nine six. So a few followers away from that. So a big thank you to everybody that's that's. Follow the account in recent days. We'll keep putting out uh, Jets content. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can follow my personal Twitter at Ben W. Blessington. I haven't really been using it that much, I'm going to be honest, but I think uh, uh, you know, I'll probably start to use it more. But for Jets content, it's probably you'll probably find more at CYJ Pod and at Michael underscore Nania. You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're still working on a few sites right now, iHeart. I know I said Stitcher at the beginning of the episode. We're still working on Stitcher and iHeart or whatever. They have to get approved. But we are on iTunes. We really appreciate any reviews or ratings. It doesn't take that long, but it helps the podcast out tremendously since we're a new feed. So please, if you go to iTunes, just write us a quick review. We're on Spotify, um, and we're also on – what else are we on? We're on Google. Uh, Simplecast is is the, the place we used to upload our podcast, so you can listen to it there. Uh, but you can also find this podcast, other Jets podcasts, other great Jets content at turnofthejets.com. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it by now, but a great place to go to. Um, you know, I pretty much go there every day to just get my, my daily Jets fill. So just go to turnonthejets.com and you'll find our podcast there. That'll do it for us. Um, well, yeah, as we said, we'll be back on Tuesday with Manish Mehta. And then after that's, you know, Sunday, Monday, whatever, talking, uh, you know, the, the post game for the Saints-Jets game and, and previewing the, the Eagles game. So anyways, thank you for listening. Uh, really like doing this podcast. Excited to do some more and really excited to get into actual football. Uh, in a few weeks. Everybody have a good week. We'll be back on Tuesday with Manish Mehta, and then let's hope the Jets stay healthy. Fires one down the left sideline towards the end zone. Robbie Anderson, he's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. Bounce it to Bell. It might be on Bell. Takes it. It's for the touchdown. Bounce off the 30. 35-40. Bounce off the Jets. 
He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. Good. It's intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jim. And he 